When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's another week, another episode. Day three of Softball Media Days is here on the Out of the Box podcast. What a week one it was. And now the second week. I'm Gray Robertson sitting next to my partner, Tom Canterbury. Tom, we've had some time to sit with the first two episodes. And now here we are, week two, when it's packed. Oh, man. If you didn't get enough the first week, here comes week number two and just jam packed with more softball. Yes. We talk with four coaches. In this wow. episode, and then in episode four, which you'll hear on December 10th, three coaches, and we talk about fall ball because we haven't done that this year, and right. we need to talk as much as possible because this is our podcast. <laughs> so, That's kind of what we do. Yeah, it's yeah. the point of the podcast. Mm-hmm. This is Softball Media Days presented by Anthony Sinella Realty. Make sure that you follow the show on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I think you can on Spotify. I really don't know. Google Podcasts. Again, on Twitter at out of the box underscore pod. Do all the liking and retweeting and whatnot. We had a lot of great engagement from teams and fans for week one. And now it's time to dive into episode three with Tim Walton from Florida, Beth Torina from LSU, Bev Smith from South Carolina, and Jamie Traxel from Ole Miss. And before we dive into previewing all of that, Tom, let's talk a little bit about our friend Anthony Sanello and Anthony Sanello Realty. Yes, I would love to talk about it. Yes, why not? I mean, yes. you want to go to the beach, don't you? Would love it. Yes, the beach is great. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good trip to the beach? And, you know, Anthony Sanello Realty, part of Alabama Beach Realty, he handles all your buying, selling, investment properties, rentals, all that jazz. You can hit him up at anthonysanellorealty.com or call him at 251-301-7694. Offerings for the military, veterans, first responders, and teachers. 5% donation of his earnings from your property transaction to your charity of choice or your local first responder sector, Tom. Doing all the good things. Yes. <laughs> Anthony Sanello, part of Alabama Beach Realty and part of Bama U. Yes. Well, Anthony, that's for you. Yes. As Tom said last episode, that's for free. Right. I'm not even charging you for that one. The rest of it's not, but... Yeah. <laughs> Man, print, print the business cards now. <laughs> Anthony Sinello Realty.com. Anthony C-I-N-E-L-L-O Realty R-E-A-L-T-Y dot com. Or give him a call 251-301-7694. Tom, we've got Florida, LSU, South Carolina, and Ole Miss here on day three of Softball Media Days presented by Anthony Sinello Realty. Let's talk about it. We start with the Gators. We'll dive into Tim Walton in just a moment and really get in deep with what he said but on the surface level this is a Florida team that won the conference last year with Arkansas even though at times it didn't feel like it Tim Walton will say in the interview they won every conference series they played last year and they bring back a lot of the pieces that were on that team they do and then you know because I remember 
we were like, oh, maybe this is the year that Florida kind of takes a downturn. No, it ended up about being. So um, you know that Florida is going to be in and around the top no matter what. And uh, having so much coming back from that team that had so much success last year, uh, certainly going to be right there again. Yeah, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. LSU, a bounce back season. I remember at the beginning of last year, we said there would be three teams that pulled away from the pack, Alabama, Florida, and LSU. Turns out Arkansas and LSU should have switched spots, but is it is it unfair to say that last year was kind of an underwhelming season for LSU, even though they got a number seven national seed, they didn't get out of supers, overall record of 35 and 22. They could have been probably, you could argue, should have been better. It was just one of those years. Yeah, and uh, we're going to, and uh, Coach Treen is going to talk about it in the in the interview, might have overscheduled a little bit, uh, played one of the toughest schedules maybe ever in the non-conference before you get into uh, the SEC. So, um, they probably were better than their final score or their final record indicated. Um, but yeah, when, when you are a top eight seed and you don't make it out of supers, you know, there, there is some disappointment there. Uh, but I would expect they're going to be definitely right back up there in the conversation again at the top of the league. We've also got Bev Smith from South Carolina. Tom, you took some heat last year. Mm. You had South Carolina last in your preseason poll. Yeah. I made fun of you. You did. And, uh, you mm. nailed it. I was like, where did where did South Carolina finish in that? They finished thirteenth. They did so, and but that's that's the thing. I I got attacked, but I don't have a hatred for South Carolina. I have no. I like Bev a lot, actually. I really enjoyed the interview that we had with her. And if you finish thirteenth in this league, you're still, you know, we made the argument. We thought they sh- they should have been in the tournament. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean you're a bad team if you finish thirteenth in the conference. And spoiler alert, a little bit. I'm not going to pick pick them to finish last this year. Oh yeah, be a little early lean on that. Mm. But they they had issues last year, and it all came around just the lack of a stable number one in the circle. Is that going to be addressed? We'll talk to her about it. Yeah, and then Ole Miss. There's a lot that you can look at with this Ole Miss team. The year in of itself better than we expected for sure, no doubt about it. In Jamie yes. Traxel's first season, mm-hmm. everything around the program makes it hard to know what this year is going to look like. There was the dust up at Arizona. There was the off-season situation. Ole Miss has been cleared of all that, but at the very least, it's a distraction. And so all of that swirling around, Ole Miss is kind of one of the biggest question marks for me coming into this year. Really? I mean, you look at it about halfway through the regular season, uh, Jamie Traxel was making the, the case was being made that she could have been coach of the year. Like that, and they were in an uh, amazing position considering where they were selected in the preseason. Uh, things kind of they, they hit a snag toward the end. They played a couple of their tougher ske- uh, series, including the series against Alabama at the Dust Up in Arizona and Regionals. But what they are going to be looking for, at least to start things off, is just some stability. Something you know, just they want you know they've had such up and down. They've had so much controversy surrounding the program that they're going to be looking for, let's just go out and play softball and, and, and not make headlines for anything other than our good play. And that's going to be their goal, I assume. So that is the lineup today. Tim Walton from Florida, Beth Torina from LSU, Bev Smith from South Carolina, Jamie Traxel from Ole Miss. We start with Tim Walton. I did this one alone. I know last week you said that there was only one you missed. There were two. two, Turns out, yes, we had to maneuver the scheduling a bit. So we recorded those episodes before the interview. Dang job. (laughs) Sorry, you're working. Yeah, full-time gig. (laughs) Can't relate. Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, Tim Walton and I I just, it's it's a long interview. I mean, we Mm -hmm. dive into a lot of stuff. We'll talk more about it after you hear the interview. But overall, I was intrigued by his comments from 
talking about the offense and essentially saying, yeah, we know that after Hannah Adams, Lindemann and Eccles and Cheyenne Lindsay last year, that was an issue for mm. them. And uh, he said that that is something they've really worked to address here in the off season. Yeah. And that's, that's what you're going to have to do. You, they, they were not scary one through nine in their lineup and that's unusual for Florida. They get a few extra players back this year. So we'll see if that makes a difference. Yes. Shall we play it? Let's do it. Here we go. Florida head coach Tim Walton leading off day three of softball media days presented by Anthony Sanella Realty. Next up here on softball media days, we go to Gainesville, Florida, the site of the 2022 SEC softball tournament, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Coach Tim Walton of the Florida Gators joining us here. On the Out of the Box podcast, the reigning co-SEC champions of the year. Coach, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, Coach. It's good to see you again. And what an interesting year it was for your team last year, winning the conference uh, with Arkansas, falling in the SEC tournament, and then you know losing in Supers to Georgia, kind of all over the place, really, results-wise. What were your main takeaways from that 2021 year? Well, I, you know, I, I told my players at the end of the season, I was you know, really, really proud of them for just the resiliency and the ability to stay grounded and, and uh, really just, you know, focus on the day as opposed to getting too far ahead and looking at the what ifs. You know, last year was a very challenging year from a travel standpoint, from a health and safety standpoint, from a competition standpoint. You know, things were fun, exciting and uh, you know, really good. But I think the, the overall takeaways were we had a lot of young people doing things last year that they've never done before in a Gator uniform or, or even really at this level. And so I think that the accomplishments we had in a, in a pro, if, if you're measuring um, our program on getting to the College World Series, then obviously we, we, we fell short. If you're measuring our program as far as being able to continue to get better, to find ways to win, to be super competitive, to play, um, you know, a, a really fun brand, uh, to keep people in the stands till the end of the game, till the last pitch, then uh, we did a fantastic job of that. Um, but if you're measuring it on championships, we won another championship. You know, we, we won an SEC championship when, um, you know, I don't know what number, we're always picked a little higher than maybe the team is at times. And then sometimes we're picked a little bit lower, but very few times are we ever, are the Gators actually picked really low. Um, so with that being said, I think our team, um, you know, overachieved in a lot of different ways, but underachieved in getting to the goal of being back to the College World Series. Coach, I love that you mentioned finding ways to win and keeping people in the seats because I can't tell you, and I'm sure you felt this coaching the games, how many times we would watch those Florida games against Missouri and against A&M and say, well, I don't know if Florida's going to pull this off. And then your team would find a way to win. What does that say about the character of those players that they, they wouldn't stop, they wouldn't give up, and they were able to secure that title? I, I've become friends with, with Courtney Dyfel. Um, after they, uh, I believe, beat LSU and, uh, and won – um, at the time, uh, uh, at least a share of the SEC championship, I sent her, a, I didn't have her cell phone number at the time. I sent her an email congratulating her on, on winning a championship because it's such a tough thing to do. You know, Florida and Alabama have won so many of them that for somebody else to win one was pretty special. And I, I recognized that and, and, you know, and, and, and sent her a, a message. And, um, and then, then obviously the next weekend, the last pitch of the weekend, we win, you know, the other share of the SEC championship. So, I jokingly told her you had a whole week of being an SEC champion just by yourself. 
And, um, but it is, it's so special and so hard to do. And um, I think when you get back to the question that you asked me, um, she said the same thing. She's like, you had so many opportunities to lose three weeks earlier. We could have been SEC champions, you know, uh, probably three or four weeks earlier. And, and, and they could have, but, you know, credit Hannah Adams and, you know, and Julia Cottrell and Sharla Eccles and Katie Cronister and some of the other ones that just came in and did a fantastic job of finding a way not to give in. Well, you mentioned a couple of the players I want to bring up next. Let's talk about the offense. Sharla Eccles struck out three times last year. She's so dynamic. Her ability to just put it in play in general is incredible to watch. Hannah Adams has been so dynamic for you since she came into Gainesville. And those two kind of seem to be the centerpieces for your offense coming into 2022. What have they done here in this offseason to get better going into this year? Yeah, you know, that's the that's the the ever challenging task is how do you improve on your weaknesses without taking away from your strengths? How do you continue to build strengths without gathering up more weaknesses? And, you know, those two in particular are, are really good competitors. Uh, they're hardworking um, people. Um, I think that both of them have ice water running through their veins and they do a really good job of embracing the challenge of, of the moment and the opponent and what it takes. And, some of the things that we've really done, not just for those two, but for some of the rest of our players is we've just identified, we, we, we as coaches, um, you know, admittingly at the end of a season, we always try to self-eval and say, all right, where could we do a better job as coaches to help our players become better players? And um, so we, we, we sat down, uh, Eric Thomas and I, and really looked deep at the offense and what we need to do. And, um, and so I, I've stepped away. Um, from the offenses, at, at least in from, I used to throw pitches every single day. Um, I used to have, you know, conversations about mechanics or hitting in, in general every single day. And so now I'm just going to run the offense. Like I've run for, you know, every year I've coached, uh, I'm just going to run the offense. And, and I still talk mental stuff. I still talk situational stuff. I still talk preparation stuff, but I've stepped away. We've added some um, visual mechanics. We're starting to really do a little bit more on the visual side of things um, on, on this end. We've added the um, uh, a little bit more sports psychology things to try to help our athletes sharpen their skills. Um, and I, I think that we're doing a little bit more, but a little bit less and trying to figure out the recovery piece, the situational piece and, you know, and the competitive piece. You know, I think that's one thing um, I talked to a, a lot of people about our team last year. And so, you know, I just a little disappointed overall in the offense um, and in and, and our overall our toughness. And, you know, the response was, how can you be disappointed? Your team won like 14 or 15 games in their last at bat. And I said, yeah, but fortunately we had a hit by a pitch and error in the fourth inning that allowed us to turn the lineup over to the players that, you know, like the Charlotte Eccles and then, and, and, you know, the Hannah Adams and Cheyenne Lindsay had a really nice year for us as well. But overall, I'm really pleased with, with those two. Um, and I'm really pleased with the, the progress that we've made. Um, from number one hitter to number 16 hitter. I think we've done a really good job of identifying some things to really get better. But you do bring up last year, you know, that I would say five through nine in the lineup was kind of one of the question marks for your team. What does that look like this year? I mean, we know that Skylar Wallace is eligible now. You've got some fantastic freshmen coming in. I've heard a lot about Falby and, uh, and Reagan Walsh, of course, has been uh, playing, I believe, exclusively shortstop in the fall. How does that lineup look going into 2022? Yeah, you know, when you can juggle a lineup based upon run production 
as opposed to juggling a lineup based upon, you know, scoring a run. It's a little bit different. And, um, you know, so Kendra had a really nice fall for us, uh, obviously, as a freshman. Uh, Reagan Walsh had a really nice fall for us, again, as a freshman, not only internally as, you know, in our own scrimmages, but also externally against some teams that, you know, that have some, you know, pretty good, pretty good teams. So that was good to see. Um, you know, I think that's what, you know, it's, it, that's the key. You know, I think that most everybody thinks that it's so easy to go out and recruit and get really good hitters. Well, it is, but there's so many dynamic pieces to it. There's the health component. There's the confidence component. There's the matchup component. Um, you know, and so I think overall last year, you know, we, we, we were dealing with some injuries that, you know, we, we, we never, you know, again, every program does that we don't disclose because you're, you're, you're just, you, you manage them, you try to workload manage them and do things. So we dealt with some things. I think some of those things showed up at the end of the season. Some of them showed up during the middle of the season. Um, but I think overall, um, you know, we, we do feel like we've stretched the lineup out a lot more with Skyler in there, um, with Kendra in there, um, you know, hopefully with a healthier Cheyenne Lindsay, um, we should be a little bit faster, should be a little bit more dynamic. Um, you know, we, we hit a ton of home runs um, on the road. Uh, we didn't hit as many at home, um, you know, whether that's just because of just it is the opponent at home was different or some of the ballparks on the road travel or carry better than the ones that travel here in Gainesville. But um, I thought, again, I don't, I don't remember, again, I've already turned the page, but you know, I, we didn't lose a single series last year. And, um, you know, I think that uh, what our team did to find a way to win was, was, was really impressive. And as a coach, who's won championships and as a coach who pays attention to what people think, you know, and, and, you know, externally, which is, which is always a good thing. I don't, I don't think burying my head in the sand and not listening to some of the things that the media says and some of the things that the fans say and some of the, I think that, you know, good, honest, critical thinking is a good thing to have. And um, I want us to be better and I expect us to be better. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not super easy to, to sit here and expect uh, an 18 to 23 year old kid now um, to, to really go out there and be their best every single day when they've got a lot of things going on in their lives. Coach, I want to zero in on Reagan Walsh because you said you like to listen to fans. There has been a lot of buzz about that incoming freshman. What is it about her that stuck out to you to where it does look like she's going to get a lot of playing time this season? Yeah, you know, it's kind of cool. Reagan's, uh, Reagan's dad, um, you know, played quarterback um, and – got a little bit of a, you know, I will sit call it a cup of coffee in the NFL. When they came on their unofficial visit with us, we, we got to go to our, the, the spring game. And I've never gone to a spring game because it usually is on a Saturday and we're playing a game in the SEC, but uh, they had it on a Friday night and we were playing the Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So I got, I got lucky. I got to take them to the spring game and go through that process with them on a Friday and really got to get to know them on a personal level, just not just a softball level. And, you know, her want to be a Gator was so high. I was in Omaha, um, and I, I want to say it was Omaha 2017. Florida Gators were playing for a national championship, and Reagan FaceTimes me to commit, and um, I'll never forget it. She FaceTimes me, and she says, Coach, I want to be a Gator, and I'm like, yeah, I was excited, and then she turns the screen open to the rest of the people in her living room, there were 75 people, oh all family, all wearing Gator gear. And it was the coolest thing that I've ever seen 
in my entire recruiting history. And I was so proud. Every day Reagan comes to this field, she wants to be a Gator still. And, um, you know, it gives me chills to think that, you know, when you go out and recruit, you want people that want to be Gators. And uh, she wants to be a Gator. She's good enough to be a Gator. And she's got potential to be an All-American. Um, you know, obviously, she's got to stay healthy. She's playing a tough position. Um, but she's talented. She's, she's, when you watch her play defense, she's not a prototypical. She's not Sophia Reynoso size. Um, she doesn't do things that maybe you know, Kendra Falby does. But this kid's got a cannon for an arm. She's super strong. Um, and her softball IQ is as high as I've had as a freshman um, in the entire in my entire coaching career. Mm. Florida head coach Tim Walton joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, let's talk about one of the things that happened a couple of weeks ago. That was Julia Cottrell transferring out. Uh, unfortunately, it's just kind of one of the things coaches have to deal with now with the transfer portal era. Players can just kind of leave whenever. So what is the coaching or the catching position, I should say? What does that look like going into 2022 without her? Yeah, you know, and, and I think that, you know, I can, I can tell you, Gray, that, you know, when, when you, we reap the benefits of the transfer portal all the time, we get some good players. Um, I've helped almost every single one of my kids who's transferred from Florida. I've helped them in the process. In other words, you know, they either weren't going to play the role that they wanted to play or they weren't going to play a role that we recruited them to play. And I've helped them. I've never made a kid leave, forced a kid to leave. We've talked about options and, you know, what are your goals? You want to be a, you want to be a Gator or do you want to play for the Gators? And, you know, that's a different thing. And so I think I've helped every one of my kids through the transfer portal process. Um, and in this situation, obviously, it, uh, the, the dynamics of, of being from, um, from that town and um, to going back uh, home, you know, doing all that. I think I read her quote of, you know, just getting back home. And so uh, it, was, it was tough. You know, obviously, I've, I've known her for a long, 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 long time. Uh, her grandfather's a Hall of Fame golf coach and uh, you know, was a friend of mine as well. And so it's, uh, it's a little more than just, you know, a, a quote unquote kid entering the transfer portal and transferring somewhere else. Um, but I think the catching position is good. You know, I'm, I'm excited about uh, Emily Wilkie's opportunities. Um, Callie Decker uh, got hurt this fall. Um, you know, a, a good uh, freshman recruit. Bren Thomas has been in our program now for a long period of time. Um, you know, and then, and we've got a couple other surprises along the way. I mean, that's what you know, coaches have plan A, plan B and plan C. And so we got a couple other surprises. Charlotte Eccles is a good catcher now in the, uh, in the big 10, her freshman year. So, um, you know, Skylar Wallace could catch Bailey Goddard could catch. We got a lot of options. I think that's the good thing. Um, you know, the, the best thing about, uh, you know, where we're at right now is I mean, our team is super excited to do whatever it takes. I mean, I get phone calls, text messages from our players like, Coach, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I don't care. I just want to win. And I love my teammates. And, uh, it, I mean, as a coach and as a parent, you're like, man, what else can I do? If, you're, if, you're, if the players love each other and they really have each other's back, you know, I'm not really worried about, um, you know, it's a tough position and a, and a, and a heck of a softball player um, to replace. But I think overall, uh, you know, I, I love my team and they, they love each other. And I think that makes it uh, – I'm excited to see what we, we what, what we can do, and I'm not really worried about what we can't do. It sounds like Tom and I will be prepared to switch around the lineup for the Alabama-Florida <laughs> series, just in case. You never know. We've uh, yeah. we've had to do that in the past. Uh, Coach, let's talk pitching. Uh, I'm going to have to look down at my paper because you've got so many arms <laughs> that you can bring in with Hightower and Lugo and Trilicek all coming back. Uh, Lexi Delbray, the incoming freshman who was so highly touted, 
according to all the recruiting services, an FGCU transfer. That's a lot of arms to manage. How do you plan on sorting out that pitching staff here this year? Well, if you'd have told me 10 years ago I was going to have the number of pitchers that I have, I would tell you, gosh, you, you, you've got to be crazy. But I started to feel this. And I think even, you know, some of the coaches in our league started to feel this 2014, 2015. You know, the only difference between the 14 um, pitching staff and the 15 pitching staff and the 16 pitching staff was the word All-American in front of so many of those pitchers that we had. You know, Delaney Gorley and, and Hannah Rogers and Alicia Ocasio and Lauren Hager and Kelly Barnhill and those things. But so you know, now we have an All-American in, in Elizabeth Hightower. Um, she'll be the first one to tell you that, um, you know, and we I challenged her so hard. And I think I talked to you about that last year, Gray. And uh, she's really done a good job. Um, she's got a long way to go still. You know, I, I told her that, you know, I, I want her to be her absolute best in the last game, not just uh, the first game, the second game, the third game. It's, it's about, you know, being really, really good um, in the last game. She was really good on, in some tough environments on Friday nights on the road last year. Um, but she was even better in most cases on Sunday when they've already seen her once, which I, I was really impressed with. So we got a long way to go on the pitching staff, to, you know, to be honest with you. I think that that's, you know, again, some of it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things. Sometimes you have one and you have too many pitchers and sometimes you have six and you don't have enough pitchers. And, um, you know, and, and there's some, true. there's some <laughs> things that you have, you know, whether it be injuries or matchups and things like that. But Marissa Meesey-Moore is our transfer from Florida Gulf Coast. It's probably made the most progress of any of our pitchers so far this fall. Um, you know, she, she's really done a good job. Uh, she's, a, she's a health and educational behavior major working on her master's degree there to potentially go to med school. So sharp, uh, very, very determined, very driven. Uh, she recruited me. She, she wanted to be here. She wanted to have this education um, and then play softball at the same time. And she also wanted to hit, which was interesting because she didn't hit it, you know, Florida Gulf Coast that much. And so we're letting her hit. We're letting her pitch. Um, and we're pushing her academically, so that's pretty good. Lexi's, when I said that Marissa's come the furthest, um, I'd say Lexi is further along than everybody else because of her tools, um, but she's Nuclelouche, you know. She, she walked nine and struck out 12, and uh, her last two, actually her last, I want to say her last 18 innings, she struck out more than two per inning. And, um, and only gave up one run. So super impressed with just the progress that she's made. Swing and miss potential with the potential for three different out pitches, which again, most pitchers have one, some pitchers have none. And uh, you know, she's got three and we're, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit for her. But again, you and I've done this a million years. She's a freshman. So, you know, I'm not telling you she's going to come in and start Friday night in Tuscaloosa or she's going to pitch the Monday night game in, you know, in Athens, she's a long ways away from being there, but um, the progress that she's made has been really, really good. And, you know, I'm hoping that uh, Riley Trilicek can get back to form from freshman year. Um, but, you know, with that being said, I think that Natalie Lugo, Katie Cronister and Elizabeth Hightower got the majority of our innings last year because not because of Riley as much as they had really gotten better. You know, Natalie got better and Katie got better. Um, you know, and, and, and so I think those are the reasons Elizabeth obviously was twice as good as she was her freshman year to last year. So long story short, I think I really like the pitchers. We got Natalie and, um, you know, and, and, and Riley working hard, Marissa and Lexi working hard. Um, we have, uh, you know, I think the, when you look at Elizabeth Hightower and her potential, the one thing that I love, again, I go back to team, 
is just what they do for and with each other. You know, hey, they're sharing change-ups, they're sharing rise balls, they're sharing pitching stuff, they're sharing workout secrets, they're sharing rice bucket drills, you know, just things like that that, you know, I think is really good. And, and, and again, I go back to Mike Bosch. I think Mike's done a phenomenal job of being able to incorporate technology, being able to incorporate objective measurables to help our pitchers get better. And, um, you know, again, so many people do this with, uh, you know, subjective stuff. Hey, hey, this, that. He's, he's really good at finding the root of the problem and getting the kids to identify it, see it, feel it, and then be able to, you know, ultimately fix things or make them better. And I, he's done a really good job of being able to tie in all the technology and the things. Six pitchers, um, we, you know, we, we, we were seven all fall, we're at six now. Um, he's in the bullpen for seven hours a day in most cases. I, I give him one-on-one -on -one opportunities. With, I hired Mike Bosch to be the pitching coach at Florida. And um, I don't need him to do a lot more other than be prepared, evaluate talent, scout talent, and then be able to scout, you know, do scouting reports for our opponents. And he does a great job of, uh, of really buying in and embracing uh, being the head coach of the pitchers. Well, coach, speaking of other coaches, I'm going to give you a chance to, to brag about somebody here. Uh, there's a lot we could talk about with the schedule we're going to eventually when we get to the SEC tournament question, but our friend Lindsay Fico got a head coaching job at Mercer and she played for you at Florida. I've talked to her for the last two summers and every time she said, coach Walton has said this and coach Walton has said this, and uh, you've been such a big mentor for her. When she got that job, I was ecstatic. How proud were you of Lindsay Fico getting the job at Mercer? And are you excited to play her this year? Yeah. So, you know, I only coached Lindsay for one year and it's, it's funny. Um, you know, her mom and her dad and, and her and her uncle, they're softball people. They've been softball junkies their whole life. And when I got the job, it was really interesting. We connected right away. You know, she's a, um, she's a really uh, good person, a hard worker, uh, sharp. Um, you know, she could, uh, she really does a good job. I mean, she was a pharmaceutical salesperson. And, you know, she's just got dynamic people skills. Um, and she's got a good memory. She knows how to apply things. She's very practical. Um, and I think she cares, you know, I think that's why she had the success that she had at Santa Fe. Um, I really helped, um, she, she got the job. I helped in that process with her athletic director, Jim at, at, at Santa Fe. And we talked a long, long and hard about her. And then, um, when Mercer called me, it was interesting, you know, they had a list of, you know, I don't remember what the number was. There was about seven people on their list and they had an idea and a path. And, and I was very honest, um, with their senior women's administrator. And I said, listen, I said, I'm going to tell you about a kid that I coached. Um, she's a mom. Um, she's a, she's a, she's a wife. She's a coach. She's a good person. And if for some reason your, your, your list is what your list is, I think you need to add this, this person to your list. And lo and behold, she gets an interview, blows them away, knocks their socks off, gets the job. And um, I'm super proud of her. And, you know, and obviously they're not super far up the road. They're probably only about two hours, two hours and 15 minutes from her parents. So having grandparents for the, for the, for the kid, it's, it's awesome to me to see your former players um, do what you do. And maybe in some cases they emulate some of the things that you do, but then they create their own path. I always tell my athletes, so it's, sometimes it's really important to learn how to do things, but in most cases it's, it's important to learn how not to do things. And um, those are the reasons why successful people are really good. They, they figure out that they can't do something really quickly and they don't do it ever again. And she's one of those persons. She's really good.
Does KSP allow motor scooters? Because I know DC will probably be riding around when Mercer comes down to Gainesville somewhere if he can do it in venue. <laughs> well, the DC is like uh, he's he's the most. My, my son played at Santa Fe, so occasionally I'd see DC over there. He, he would he would love baseball. He loves baseball more than softball. Number one, because he can take that mini bike and jump over the pitching mound and give him something to to do a little bit more. But yeah, we. We'll make sure that LDC has a, a, a helmet if he's going to be on here because that kid is uh, – he's full of energy just like his mom. Yes. <laughs> All right, Coach, let's talk SEC tournament. Uh, last year you came to Tuscaloosa. This year we will go down to Gainesville. How excited are you to have that event in your home park? Well, I'm looking out my window right now, and um, we we know we're hosting the – I know we're hosting the SEC tournament. It's, we, we stopped our team pra- – our practices – um, on our field a, a week earlier than we normally do. Now we're just using our, our, our cages and our, our Southwest rec fields. They're laser grade in the outfield. They're laser grade in the infield. They're laser grade in the warning track. They're redoing some stuff. We're putting in new sod. Um, and uh, the, the people in Gainesville do a really good job of hosting. Um, when I say people in Gainesville, we got people in Gainesville. And then you got the UAA. Our operations staff does a phenomenal job. Uh, I get asked a lot of questions about doing this, doing that, doing that. I'm like, Hey, you got to talk to our operations people. And they're like, well, no, you're the head coach. I'm like, listen, my people do such a great job. I'm the head coach, but I don't have to do their job. They, we have Will Krause is our operations guy here at softball and he and Brian flood do such a great job, but um, uh, really, really happy. I have never hosted the sec tournament. So, um, you know, I don't even think, I don't even think I'm a veteran in the league. I think there's quite a few coaches that have a lot more tenure than I do. Um, But ultimately I've never hosted um, the SEC tournament. So I'm excited about that opportunity. Um, you know, I've been obviously been on the road so many times, 15 SEC tournaments. Um, it's been a fun, it's fun experience. So we're trying to take in all of the things that we liked in all of the, the venues and try to hopefully add some pieces. Tennessee did a really good job of having a TV function out at their soccer field. LSU had some cool tents. Um, Alabama did a great job hosting last year. The field crew did a phenomenal job of making sure that every game was like the first game and uh, we recognize those things. And I think that's what the people of, uh, of the University of Florida do as well. They, they really take a lot of pride in, in hosting an event. Obviously, we, we want to win it. Um, but with that being said, it doesn't matter if the Gators are playing or somebody else is playing. It's just going to feel like a, you know, a, a great experience for all the student athletes in this league. Florida head coach Tim Walton joining us here for Florida's Day on Softball Media Days. Coach, a couple more things before we let you go. This is a part of the questions that we have asked all the coaches, and this is one that directly ties into you, conference realignment. Oklahoma and Texas are coming to the SEC. You have had some battles in your coaching tenure with the Sooners in the past. You were also, of course, an Oklahoma grad. How excited were you when you saw that news? Um, You know, Scott Strickland called me ahead of time and you know, was giving me the rundown of obviously the speculation going through the media. And he called me and asked me my opinion, the same thing. And I, I said, if you want to be the best, you got to play the best. You got to beat the best. So to me, what, what does it matter? Um, I think that, you know, what commissioner Sankey has done in this league and created the opportunities for the softball um, stage to be filled with, you know, all of the sec teams in postseason for a number of years now, um, what's adding two more powerhouse programs, but powerhouse softball programs to the mix. Um, but I do think that the, the one key is trying to figure out what makes the, everybody's got an opinion. I mean, just ask them, you know, I think, uh, I'll tell you this, that we've been doing a really good job. If, if the goal for us 
is to get the most teams in postseason, then we need to keep things the exact same. With the formula we have is really working. But if that's not the goal to get everybody into postseason, the goal is to play more weekends or play have better TV matchups in February or March or whatever the you know whatever the time frame is. Then obviously the realignment is going to have to take a complete overhaul of our of our of our scheduling format. Um, I don't think we're probably going to do that. I think if anything, we may add a, a weekend potentially. Um, softball has been built on the tournament formats where you go out and play preseason tournaments. You do all these things. You get as many kids into play. You go add a couple more weekends of SEC play and less kids get an opportunity to play softball. And I think that's going to be a fact that, you know, I've seen some of these SEC rosters. They got 30 some kids on the roster. If we play more SEC weekends. Some of those kids are never going to play softball because they're going to be, you know, they're not ready to play some of those games. So I do think the preseason allows more women an opportunity to play softball because some of the matchups you get give you a chance to take a chance on, a, you know, a kid who's a freshman or a kid who's a junior who hasn't played a lot giving them a bat or two or defense or pitch and inning, whatever it is. So I love having Oklahoma and Texas in our league. Um, I think it's the beginning to, you know, some, some more dominoes down the road, but I think we all are smart enough to see the, the financial dynamics that that's going to be added in the television revenue and the competition revenue and all the other stuff. But if commissioner Sankey called me today and said, Hey, we're going to do this. I'd say, yes, sir. Because that's the smartest, the sharpest, the brightest, the, the, the kindest, um, person that I've ever met, um, I'd vote for him for president. I mean, he's a legit human being and he does what's right for everybody, not just what's right for one person. So I trust him hundred percent. Well, speaking of sharp and bright, we got some of that with the rules that came out here in the off season. We had some common sense as Mickey Dean said, added in with the extra day at the world series, the out of the box rule, uh, the penalty has been lessened a bit, which is really nice. And of course, replay coming to the sec and, and to the regular season, which we've seen it work, especially when it's centralized in the sec tournament. Was there anything in particular that really stuck out to you in all those rules changes that you were really excited to see? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, again, I've been to the World Series uh, a bunch. Um, I was the first coach in the history of college softball replay to challenge a play um, that was actually challenged wrong, which is, but again, it was, it is what it is. And the circumstances of a tornado coming through a place limited the number of replay opportunities. So I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a get it type of a person. I understand. I'm, I'm realistic. So I don't complain a lot. Like I'm not somebody who just sits here and in my office and just complains about softball or the rules of recruiting or whatever it is. Um, but when people ask me, I will give you my opinion. Um, and when the NCAA called me and asked me what I think about the format um, and when I do my surveys and they ask me what I think about, you know, things I tell them every time um, I've played for the, I think I've probably lost more national championships um, than anybody in the SEC. Um, obviously I won more than anybody in the SEC as well. My point to that is playing, getting to the College World Series finals is one of the hardest things there is to do. And then you have to play for a national championship the next night. It's really tough. It's, it's hard for preparation, um, but more than anything from a recovery standpoint, from an emotional recovery standpoint, getting to the finals is a victory in itself that you never get an opportunity to, to really um, cherish. Um, and I can tell you from experience in 2009 with a walk-off home run to get to the finals, um, we were emotionally spent when it was time to go play our next opponent. And you have to go through a half day of media obligations to get ready to set the stage on TV. So this makes 100% sense. 
Um, I really, that was the biggest thing for me is give the teams an opportunity to have one day off from competition between the World Series bracket play to the World Series finals. I think that makes the most sense. I think that's the best thing for the game. You're going to get a plus on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if that's the for, final form, you're going to get a plus. You're going to get number one versus number one. You're going to get an unbelievable television matchup. And um, I think it's only going to improve TV ratings and uh, quality of play, but then also, most importantly, quality of experience for the student athletes and coaches. All right, coach, I'm going to take a deep breath because this is the most important question I've ever asked on this podcast. We have a segment called Tom's Hungry where we go around to the road trips and we eat all these uh, all great food at these restaurants. And we're coming to Gainesville twice next year. So in honor of my partner, Tom Canterbury, who's not here for this interview, I need your restaurant recommendation list. Where do we need to go in Gainesville for the regular season series and for the SEC tournament for the segment? Okay. Uh, and apparently Tom's hungry today because he's not with us, as we know, Gray. So um, we, we, yeah, we'll go. he's having brunch want, right now. <laughs> if you want pizza, you got to go to Satchel's Pizza. Satchel's is uh, the best local, uh, cool, eclectic spot. I love Satchel's. If you're looking for a steak, uh, a steak dinner, um, you got to go to Embers. Um, if you're looking for deep dish pizza, um, you got to go to my guy, Kyle at Leonardo's here in town. He's got some, he does a really, really good job. Um, breakfast, I'd say, even though this is a chain, Kiki's breakfast is one of the best. Um, and then we have Metro, uh, the diner, which is right around the corner from us over here. Um, love that one as well. Um, if you're looking for, um, uh, if you're looking for lunch, there's a local spot here called Mildred's. It's, uh, it's organic. It's, uh, it's one of those local places. Uh, I like Mildred's. They got a crazy variety of different things on their menu. Um, I think that's where I'd start. Those, those are some good spots. I got about everybody that comes to Gainesville. You know, we've been hosting a lot of tournaments now here as a last in the, in the travel market. And I'll send them about 12 different spots. And uh, it's funny when people go, oh, my gosh, every one of those places was, was really, really good. Um, we've got, a, we've, we've got some really good, uh, cilantro taco is a, a really good taco spot. Best breakfast burrito in town is El Indio. Um, they got a breakfast burrito like you haven't had, uh, unless you're from Southern California, like I am. And, uh, it's the, probably the closest, um, you know, to, to, to that. So, uh, we got some pretty good spots. There's a, a variety of cool, I'm not one of those that likes just to do the old, Cheesecake Factory is obviously A+. plus. Love, love Cheesecake Factory. We've got one here now. But um, I like some of these other spots that you and Tom can hit up and uh, give them a little uh, free air, air time and tell them Tim Walton sent you. Absolutely. Now, this list will work. This list will work. I mean, we're hoping to spend a good amount of time. In games that's just off year. the top of my head. I, I mean, I could ultimately sit down and brainstorm a little better, but uh, that's the top of my head. Well, if you come up with a packet of any kind, please forward it to us. You've got our emails. Uh, Coach, thank you so much. We're so excited to see you this year. It's going to be a great season of softball no matter what happens. We've seen the ratings go up. Uh, gymnastics will be on ABC this year. We have to assume regular season softball will be following suit at some point. It's going to be a great year. We're glad you could preview it with yeah. us here today. Well, I have to also give out, give one more shout out to Sarah Longley. And the reason I do is because last year you said, well, hey, I'm excited about Sarah Longley. I haven't seen her. And I said, yeah, you know, her 142 batting average and boom, Sarah Longley gets a big hit in Tuscaloosa to win us a ball game. Sarah Longley's last at bat here in Gainesville the fall was about a 265 foot shot 
um, okay. off of Florida State. And uh, she's actually making some good progress. She's getting closer to what you've seen in the summer, gaining that confidence and the experience and stuff like that. So I had to give her a shout out just because uh, I know, Gray, that you paid attention to her career. And uh, she's such a good kid. I, I could not give her one. Well, then before we let you go, Kinsey Gells, I'll let you talk about her for a minute and brag about her because, you know, what an offseason she's had off the field with all yeah. these honors and awards she's gotten. I, you just talked a lot about the softball stuff. And I mean, the, the, the number of things that my kids do, and I call my kids all the time, but what they do for our community and what they do for, you know, for, for our program and for the University of Florida brand and the athletic, they're, they're such, we have some really good people and some good ambassadors. Um, obviously the leadership training that she, she was able to do at the NCAA being uh, uh, the, the woman uh, SEC representative for student athletes to go and learn and become a better leader. She's just, she's, she's phenomenal. Um, you know, and, and, and ironically, she hit a big home run in her orange and blue series for her team, grand slam for her team to win the, uh, win the uh, orange and blue series. So she's, she's a, she's a great kid, a dynamic kid. Um, and she does so much for our, pro she's a, she's a program kid. She does so much more for our program. Um, anybody externally goes, who's this Kenzie Gell's kid? And everybody inside the program goes, this Kenzie Gell's kid's the hardest worker, the, the nicest person, the sharpest, sharpest dresser. She's starting to get some, some uh, leadership clothes now. She's just a cool kid and uh, somebody who helps our program get better on and off the field and in the classroom for sure. Well, Kinsey is one that I'll be hugging when I see her this season. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. It's always good to see you. Yeah, thank you, Gray. Sorry Tom couldn't be here as well. Go Gators. That was Florida head coach Tim Walton. Tom, a lot to glean from that interview. First off, we know what Charlotte Eccles and Hannah Adams are going to be. Uh, I found his comments about Reagan Walsh really interesting. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, you see her at starting shortstop all year. Skylar Wallace, uh, it doesn't sound like she's playing short, so I'm right. curious to see where she plays in the field and where she hits. I think as a team, Florida might be better. I, I know he loves the pitching, as he should. He's their coach. Right. I he's, have, been, he's been in the lab with yeah. him. Right, yes. I have questions about that pitching staff, you know, top to bottom versus some of the other top pitching staffs in the conference. But this is a Florida team that gets Tennessee – Alabama and Arkansas all at home in conference play. So the schedule sets up nicely. Yeah. The, you know, your, your first option would be to skip those teams. If, yes. if, you, if the rotation worked out that way, but if you're going to have to play those teams, playing them at home is a huge advantage. Plus getting the sec tournament in Gainesville is big for them as well. I will say if you are going to pick somebody who is going to um, have a pitcher kind of come out of nowhere and become a dominant number one starter, it'd probably be a Florida pitcher. Yeah. You know, it, it's happened before. Uh, so I, I think they're going to be okay as far as that goes, but yeah, it, it is kind of remains to be seen on who that person's going to be. Uh, I know all the Alabama fans listening were, were wondering about Skylar Wallace and how she fits in there. Um, we both think she's going to be a starter just where, where yeah. is she going to That's be? That's the question. And yeah. I mean, you know, coach Walton referenced, you know, situations, the situation at catcher with Cottrell gone, mm -hmm. Eccles can catch. You've got Bryn Thomas who can catch, Emily Wilkie can catch. Uh, they've, they've got some options. He, he threw in Skylar Wallace there. So there are a lot of people who can play that position. I, I do think that when we play in Gainesville, like I joked with Coach Walton, we're going to need to be prepared to use the wideout and do some crossing out for lineup switches yeah. because this is a team with a lot of players who can play a lot of spots. 
and that is something interesting for Tim Walton to kind of play with this year. It is, and considering that uh, the hope is with the SEC tournament being there that uh, Alabama will be there for a long time. We're going to be in Gainesville for a long time, so I'm most looking forward to getting the packet of restaurants yes. uh, recommendations from him. Don't forget, Coach. I've got <laughs> written down here, how many is that? Seven restaurants. That's a so good that's list. Good. That's yeah. a good list to start off with. That's solid, uh, yeah. but you know we're hoping to be there for – 14 almost a, a week and a half yeah, and we don't want to duplicate yeah so, so we gotta get in there we, we we need we need places to where we don't go more than once and we need them to be local spots you know? yes i know the local olive garden i'm sure is great but <laughs> that's not on the right list. that's on the list <laughs> we're avoiding the olive garden <laughs> we're trying to hit up the local local right. spots so thank you to tim walton florida again they're always going to be there sure I think that talking with Coach Walton and further examining the schedule, I think that the possibility of Florida winning the conference is higher than I thought 24 hours ago as I was getting ready for this interview. We'll see. I mean, again, it's it's hard to overstate how important having Alabama and Arkansas at home is because I, I think it's safe to say, and we'll do this at the end of episode four, but those are two of our top four or five teams in the conference, Alabama and Arkansas. Oh, yeah. 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 So – I mean, that, that's huge. We'll see if they can take advantage. That, that's not always an indicator of how it'll end up going, uh, you know, because we know what happened the last time Alabama went to Gainesville. It's true. It had no effect on the overall yeah. seeding of the NCAA tournament, <laughs> but... Tom, settle down, please. <laughs> sorry. We don't sorry. need security called. <laughs> We're the only people here. Everyone else is gone. <laughs> Going to hear a knock on the door. That's why we edit. Okay. <laughs> So that's the Florida Gators. Next up, Tom, the LSU Tigers. And we'll dive more into the Bayou Bengals in just a minute. Speaking of good restaurants, Mm -hmm. that is with Beth Tarina. That's coming up on the other side here on Softball Media Days, day three. Okay, here we go. Baton Rouge, another place Alabama goes to Mm -hmm. this year, actually. Kind of twice, three, you know, again, sort of, right? Yeah, three of these four teams today are places Alabama goes to, right? That's true. This upcoming year, so this is a very important Tom's Hungry right. question because <laughs> we're going to spend a lot of time in the state of Louisiana, yes. if nothing else. <laughs> Beth Tarina, always a delight from LSU. She addresses a lot of the stuff that we asked her about, as you should when it's an interview. But you know, the offense had some issues last year and when you lose Aaliyah Andrews you have to answer some questions about that as well and frankly Tom the pitching staff not as good as I wanted them to be or thought they would be coming into the year so all stuff that coach Tarina talks about right because if you look at her especially the pitching staff probably you know you make the argument the deepest in the conference yeah uh, but it just seemed as though every everybody in that staff was just a little bit off from what we what their ultimate um what they could have been so when that happens and the everybody else is just kind of brought down and as we talked about as well with the schedule they played um you couldn't be a little bit off mm-hmm. so so um the fact they were able to do that and still parlay it into a top eight national seed that part of it as far as the scheduling worked you know that they got what they wanted out of it unfortunately they went up against a team like florida state who we as we know does really well in the postseason yes <laughs> shall we get to beth tarina would love it here she is lsu head softball coach beth tarina the second coach here on day three of softball media days welcome back to softball media days gray robertson tom canterbury here on the out of the box podcast and we are so pleased to be joined 
for the head coach of the Bayou Bengals down at LSU in Baton Rouge, Beth Tarina. Coach Tarina, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excited to be with you guys. Of course, it's great to talk to you again this year. And I wanted to start broad and talk about last season. We were still kind of dealing with, quote unquote, a COVID year. And your team was able to finish seventh nationally in the NCAA tournament, or at least get that seed uh, top four in the SEC. What are your main takeaways from last year and the team that you had? I think our team battled through a lot. I think the schedule that we played was extremely challenging, not just physically, but mentally. And I'm not sure at any point, any of us gave that the credit that it deserved. So I think when we look back on it, we don't feel great. We feel like, you know, we wanted more, we could have done more, but then you think about being the number seven national seed and you're like, well, all right, we'll take it. It was pretty good. It was a pretty good year. So um, I think, you know, as I look at on our field this year, we feel older, we feel, um, you know, like we have kids that even though they're not maybe listed as upperclassmen have been in the program for a few years. So, um, you know, I think that they're, they've got a good start this, this season. Ali Andrews, one of the, uh, the best players probably in program history. Uh, just talk about what, what she meant to your program and uh, if, what the plans are on replacing her, which is obviously not going to be very easy. Yeah, it's a tough one. You know, I, I, at the first team meeting this year, I kind of felt myself looking around for her um, and realized she wasn't there. So she's been somebody that's just so special to us for so long. Um, not just what she did on the field, but what she brought to us off the field too. She just made us better in so many ways. She made me better as a coach and there's, you know, not enough words you can say about somebody like that, but I do think she left us in good hands. She left us with, you know, a really strong outfield, but a really strong outfielder in Sierra Briggs, um, who is an incredible player an incredible leader for us. She is a coach's kid and just softball IQ off the chart brings not just knowledge, but a ton of energy to us. So she has left us in good hands. Sierra Briggs was on my fantasy team last year. So I'm well aware of how talented she is. She got me many points uh, when it mattered a lot. Um, and she is one of your best returning batting averages uh, coming into this year. And that was kind of an area of concern, I think, for the team last year, 269 team batting average overall in the year. Was there anything in particular that you and your coaching staff focused on offensively here in this offseason to improve that number next year? Well, I think um, I still put a lot of that on the schedule that we played and the number of good arms and quality arms that we saw. I mean, it was truly a historic level strength of schedule. We haven't seen that strength of schedule. You know, we looked back about as far as we could and hadn't seen a numerical value that high. So I truly think a lot of that affected our numbers. A lot of that affected our confidence, our mentality. Um, you know, as we went through too, we were in small groups for COVID and tried to make some changes. And I do think it improved as we went, just getting back to like a little bit more of our normal routine, but it was challenging. You're, you're right on that. It was challenging, but you know, I, I think I see a lot of reasons why we were in the spot we were in. And, and probably another thing you can point to with that would have been the, the defensive numbers 10th in the sec, as far as, as defensive fielding percentage although I mean you had obviously the great plays of Andrews out out in, out in center field and, and had some great plays but um, some of that I'm sure had something to do with that as well yeah you know I, I I can't exactly put my finger on it I think we have great players I think we're led by a great shortstop Taylor Pleasance I think this year we'll be led by a great center fielder Sierra Briggs you know I think we're going to be a lot older at a lot of positions 
we were very young last year. It felt like everywhere I looked, we had a freshman or an underclassman. And this year, even though, you know, Taylor Pleasance is still listed as a sophomore and Briggs, they're in their third year. So they feel more like upperclassmen. It's amazing the difference of just how your practice flows, how your defense runs, you know. I think they were just so young all over the place. And some of that experience was lacking at times. Yeah. I want to dive into Taylor Pleasance a little bit, because like you said, this is her third year in the program. Her first two were a COVID shortened year and all the craziness last year. So has kind of getting back to normal this off season really helped her continue that development all over the place, not just at the plate, but in the field. Yeah, she's special. She's special in so many ways. When you talk about the great ones in this program, I know we'll be talking about her for a long time. Um, and maybe will she be the SEC's only ever newcomer of the year? <laughs> will she be the only one in the history of the SEC, the newcomer of the year? What was that? You know, just the one year award for those guys. But she's deserving of every award that she gets. She is a very special player and a special human being that leads our team in so many ways. Um, we're really, really proud of her. And, you know, I think the sky's the limit for what she's going to accomplish in her time here. Taking a look at the uh, in the pitching cir circle for you, one of the more deeper uh, staffs in the entire conference, maybe in the entire nation as well. Um, what did you see from your your hurlers during the the fall, uh, and what would we be looking for from them moving forward? Well, I think, and I don't know the exact reasons, but our velocities are up almost as a whole across the entire staff. So we like seeing that they're starting at a little bit higher spot than they did last year. I don't know if that was the COVID break or if we just maybe made some things important that we hadn't in the past or more important, but they're in a good spot. And Allie Kilponen is doing things that are just incredible every single day. Um, she is so special and brings so much to our team. Shelby Sinceri is still just a workhorse for us. Um, you always know what you're going to get with her. I, I think it's hard to find a pitcher that's more consistent than what she does. Pitching is so inconsistent. And I think finding somebody that can be as consistent as her and then, we're adding a freshman that we all just think so highly of. She's, you know, leads the team in ERA this fall and swings and misses um, in all of our fall stuff, scrimmages and fall games. And that's Raylan Chafin. Um, she's a competitor, man. She just is ice water in her veins from day one. She's just a competitor. Um, I love how she shows up every day. So I'm excited. I mean, already, you know, in the fall, the fans are asking me a million questions about Raylan and want to know about her. And she's already a fan favorite right away. Coach, I'm curious who fits the bill for this next question, which is breakout season, because to me, it felt like last year it was Allie Coponen. I don't know about for you, but just from, you know, from our vantage point, it seemed like she came out of nowhere to really become one of the more dominant pitchers late in the season. Is there somebody on your team that you feel is poised for a similar kind of breakout season this year? Let's go with Danica Coffee for that. Okay. Um, I think Danica, you know, was in and out of our lineup some last year. She's made the move over to third base this year. So she's moved out of the middle. She's playing third base for us, but, um, and she's competing there. She's competing with Jordan Perkins. Who's got some great offensive tools too, but I just think Danica is going to be um, just an offensive player that is going to be a tough out for everybody in this league. I think she can do so many things, so many weapons. She has great speed. Um, she also has some power. I, I think she's going to be somebody that teams are concerned about when they see LSU. And it's a chance for you to mention any other newcomers that you think may be uh, big contributors for you uh, this season. Uh, not even necessarily, they don't necessarily have to be freshmen, just somebody that maybe we haven't seen as much from that may be uh, jumping out this year. 
Yeah, we, we've got a few kids that are doing really good things. Um, Mackenzie Rudity's coming off of an ACL, but she looks to be a great, great addition to our outfield. Bailey Brandon has swung really big for us this fall from the Texas Bomber. She's a freshman. Um, she has put up a lot of power numbers for us this fall. Sydney Peterson from uh, California is a really solid defensive player. She's been challenging Taylor Pleasance out there on defense, which has been fun to watch. Um, and then I think Presley Pylon was a red shirt player last year. Um, she was with us, but didn't play. So her Kennedy Hushmanzada are battling it out at second base. So I think that's um, going to be interesting to see how they work that out. They both bring some different strengths to the table. I think it'll be fun to see the two of them get some action this year. Yeah, listeners, if you recognize the Hushmanzada last name, yes, it is from that family as we're chatting with Beth Tarina, the head coach at LSU. Coach, this is where we get into the fun stuff and the fun conversations. And I want to start with scheduling because last year, Tom and I were of the opinion that we didn't think that the committee should look at scheduling as harshly as they usually do each year. And yet you were still able to put together a really impressive non-conference strength of schedule, as you referenced earlier, with covid you know, more or less not being as much of an issue this year. Did you run into any scheduling hangups at all as you put together the 2022 slate? It was much easier this year, much easier. Um, last year, we had to do a little bit of take what we can get and what we could get was really hard. It was really hard. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was not one of the people, we're so lucky we have so many smart coaches in the SEC because they truly led us in the right direction. Um, there were a lot of great coaches that just pushed to keep our original schedule, pushed to keep everything the way it was and kind of forced me to be better. Um, and in doing that, we got the schedule that we had, which was challenging to find, but I mean, it really was the tail of our season. That schedule was just the tail of our season. And, um, it was really nice that our team was rewarded for what they did because they went through it. I can't explain it enough. Um, they went through it and the, just the mentality of like, you never get a day off. You never get a moment to breathe. Like you're competing and competing at the highest level every time you take the field, which it's awesome. It's just really hard to build confidence with young players that way. So, um, but this year has been much easier. We're excited about the schedule. We think it is a little more balanced. Um, you know, it's still going to be tough and challenging like we like it, but we do think it's a little more balanced and, you know, we're ready to tackle it. We're excited. And we thank you for having it out already, which, uh, spoiler alert to the listeners, LSU schedule as we record, one of the first, I think, in the league to be released. So it, it was fun to get those matchups and, and take a look at that. Uh, and the schedule will be expanding very soon, or maybe not expanding, but you've got two new options coming in with Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, from every sport, this is a great addition for the SEC in so many ways, but I think people don't necessarily realize that the sport that this will most impact is softball because you're throwing in a team that is perennially in supers. And that's not even the best option. You've got Oklahoma who's made the world series like 80% in the last decade. What did the additions of those two schools, Oklahoma and Texas mean to the sec? And what were your thoughts when you first saw the news? Well, we're practicing it this year. You know, we're going to play Texas in a three-game series on our bye weekend. So, and we played them in a three-game series on our bye weekend last year. So we've already been practicing what this looks like. So um, I think for us in the SEC, it's exciting. Um, you know, I think we already feel like our league is so strong. So can it be stronger? I, I don't know. Um, it's going to be challenging no matter what you do. It's already great. And, you know, it will just continue to be strong and continue to be a force, I think, and 
everything we do. It's so cool when the group of us get together and we come together for something, just how powerful it can be um, in our sport. It's just really cool to be a part of this and a part of this league. So we're excited. We're excited. We're practicing already. We're going to be ready. They're in the league. We're all, we've already been doing it for two years. <laughs> yeah. There's some, and geography wise, it's good natural rivals for LSU in particular with Texas and, and Oklahoma coming in and uh, coach a couple of just coaching philosophy questions on what has happened in the last 18 months to two years with COVID and just uh, wanted to know ha- has what you've been having to deal with as far as flexibility and things like that. Um, ha- has that changed the way that you've coached in the last couple of years with, with everything we've been dealing with COVID wise? It has, I think it has challenged me in ways I didn't know I needed to be challenged. Um, I think it's forced me into some different spaces and some of them we've liked and some of them have been terrible. And we're like, Oh my gosh, we'll never do that again. Now we know cross it off. It's gone. We will never do that again. But some of the things that it showed us, we love, and we're going to keep, I think our practices are a little more competitive now, the way we group people and the way we scrimmage, there's some things in there that um, really worked well for us. I think we got super creative. I'm a crazy logistics person. I make my staff crazy. I'm sure. Um, but with just people moving from place to place and groups and assignments. And, um, so I think we did a good job of managing it to the best of our ability. And like I said, some things are staying and some things are so long gone out the door. We hope we never see them again. And then, uh, in addition to that, we've seen in the last few years, it's, it's something that's, that's been a, a, an issue for a while, but something that's really exploded has been the transfer portal and, and players being in and out of that, uh, much more frequently than they were in the past. Has that changed the way that you uh, recruit as far as, you know, you have maybe not planning for having somebody for four years or, or knowing that you may be able to go in, into the portal and get somebody if necessary. Has that changed your recruiting philosophies any? Not necessarily. We haven't needed to use the portal in a couple of years. So we um, didn't do it again this year. So we haven't had a transfer come into our program in the last couple of years and, you know, we like the kids that we have right now. We have a larger roster because of COVID anyway. And we feel like, you know, our it's nice to spend four years with them. Some of them five, some, one of them six last year with Kaya times. Um, but it's nice to spend the time with them, really grow your culture. I think it really helps the culture of your program when you have kids that understand it. It really becomes that coach fed player led situation everybody's looking for, you know, once you have them in there for a long time. I think we're at a, a really good spot with the group that we have that our culture almost leads itself. Um, the older kids teach the younger kids and it really is a great scenario um, that they understand what we stand for um, and they're the ones that are making it happen. That's Tarina, the head coach at LSU, joining us here on Softball Media Days. Coach, we got a lot of good news in softball, at least I think this off season with some of the rules changes. We've got an extra day at the World Series. The out-of-the-box rule has changed. Replay is coming, and I think that was already going to happen in the SEC, but now it's more national. How do you feel about some of the things that we saw here in this offseason come from the Rules Committee? You know, I'm, I'm a traditionalist in a lot of ways, and so I'm probably going to, like, pump the brakes first, but I like everything that happened. I think they're all for good, and as much as I may have second-guessed the replay in the beginning – I think it is crucial. I think it's going to be awesome. Nobody wants to get it wrong. You know, that's what I've like. The umpires don't want to get it wrong. We'd, everybody wants to get it right. So if we have the technology. Why don't we use it to make sure that we get it right? So I think it's going to be exciting. Um, I know that it worked well in 
I'm saying it worked well in the SEC tournament because we got a big call and replay. <laughs> That's why I think it worked well. But I think that it worked well, um, you know, in the SEC tournament when we tried it out. But I'm excited to see what it does for our game moving forward, and I think it's the right choice. Well, and I think in particular with replay, I thought this past year was much more effective than 2019 because they had it centralized. And at least from my perspective, when we were watching all these games, I felt like the percentage of calls – correctly changed or, or at least, you know, either confirming or, or changing the call on the field. I, I thought the percentage of the correct call being made was much higher this year with it centralized than when it was in college station. Yeah. Well, it's hard to overturn yourself, right? Like you need yeah. somebody else <laughs> reviewing it for you, but I think that more than even the coaches, I think the umpires want this. The last thing they want is to get a call wrong, you know, and they have, a really, really tough job. I could never do their job. My skin is not thick enough. You know, people talk about me on message boards and stuff. They talk about them right there in the stadium to their face. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that what they do is really hard and I think that they want to get it right. So, um, you know, I think this will just help them and help our whole game. I think it'll speed it up. Everybody thinks it'll slow it down, but I think the time we spent arguing or asking them to review it or them getting together will be, equal or maybe even less if it's something you know a safe out call at first base like I think that can be reviewed pretty quickly so I don't think it's going to take a lot of time I honestly think it might help us move the game along um it, it will definitely help us be right more often and that's the key the players deserve that yeah what about uh NIL how, how do you feel that LSU and then your your program as a whole has dealt with uh, the NIL so far I think we're just in the beginnings of it, but I think LSU is incredible. LSU wants to be the forefront of everything that's happening from, you know, videos in Times Square on day one to um, any way possible they can help provide for our student athletes. So, you know, I think that NIL and LSU, we have a really large social media following with our softball team. So I think all of those things are going to be really important. I think the opportunities are really, really large for not just LSU, but for our sport. I'm excited again, I think these women deserve these opportunities. They deserve um, to be, you know, respected for what they do because they are truly incredible. Just watch any game in our league, really any game across this country, and you just see some of the greatest athletes you have ever witnessed. And I'm just a fan of the sport, and I think they deserve it. Now, Coach, we get to the real important things. Um, on this podcast, we have a segment called Tom's Hungry which is where we go and we review where we ate when we were out on road trips and things of that nature. We are coming to Baton Rouge this year. Alabama is going to make the trip for the three-game series at LSU. We need your recommendations. Where do we need to go eat? Where's the best places? Because I know, uh, I know in Louisiana, it's done right. <laughs> it is. It is done right. Um, <laughs> man, you got to get some Cajun food while you're here, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. You hit up the best Cajun food, Paw Rands or Chimes, Sammy's. And you can't, I mean, walk ons right here on campus. How can you miss that? You know, it's always a fun atmosphere. So um, you got to make sure that you're getting the best Cajun food while you're here. Um, if we can do one thing in Baton Rouge, it's feed people. We can eat. <laughs> so we know how to feed people. The way to somebody's heart is through the belly in Baton Rouge in Louisiana. So um, we'll take care of you. That's for sure. It's why, why it's one of my favorite road trips. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> and on this podcast, that is the way to our heart because sure. we yes. really enjoy some of the good eats that we've seen across the SEC. And uh, we're trying to get a podcast NIL deal ourselves with a restaurant somewhere. So maybe some <laughs> someplace in Baton Rouge will be welcoming to some Alabama folks coming in. <laughs> 
I think you guys deserve it too. The same as the players. <laughs> we just uh, want like to eat it. as yes. much food as possible. That's <laughs> <laughs> Beth Serena joining us here on softball media days coach. Thank you so much for taking some time to, to chat with us about your team, getting a, uh, getting ready for the 2022 season. I know from our perspective, we are really excited for this year. Now that things are seemingly back to normal, we get to see what college softball will look like in a different kind of era with the transfer portal being the way it is and different teams popping up here and there and conference realignment on the horizon. It's going to be a really fun season. So thank you for previewing it uh, in at least in the LSU uh, mind frame with us here on the podcast. You got it. Thanks for having me. Go Tigers. So there's Beth Tarina, the head coach of LSU coach two here on day three, a lot of numbers there on softball media days. Sounds like Sierra Briggs is going to fill the Aaliyah Andrews hole. Uh, when we interviewed Coach Tarina, which was a while ago as we record this episode, we did not know the slate in Clearwater. They do get Oklahoma State, which will probably have Miranda Ellish starting that first game. That's something we really haven't even discussed on this podcast. <laughs> Washington there as well. Michigan, Notre Dame, and Texas Tech. Louisiana, they've got the double-double. The so the, you know, the schedule isn't as tough as last year, but it's still challenging. And you know, honestly, the whole staff, I believe in Allie Kilponen, but the whole pitching staff just needs to be better overall if LSU wants to just improve statistically and record-wise this year. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's great to have all the depth in the pitching circle. You need to have somebody who's going to be your number one go-to, and then everybody else needs to you know rise up to their potential. So LSU certainly has the opportunity to do that. You mentioned the schedule not quite as difficult in the, in the post, in the pre-conference, but they do have some marquee matchups there. I, I think they're going to be right in the conversation at the top of the league again. Still, you're having the, the issue with LSU on, is there going to be just those one or two weeks, maybe even longer of a, of a drought hitting? Is there going to be a slump throughout the year? They, they, they looked for the most part as though they had maybe addressed that, but then had the issues in the postseason, so we'll see what happens. They open SEC play with Alabama and Baton Rouge and then at Arkansas. Ooh, ooh, hello. <laughs> right. So, yeah, if you look at that, if you're LSU and you get out of – if you're three and three or four and two after that, I think you're you're yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, then if everything kind of goes shock and you're at the top. Yeah, the pro- and you do get Florida at home. Right, and you get yes. Florida at home. Now, the problem is if you get out of that, as what the probably the prognosticators will say at that point, if you get out of there – at two and four or one and five, then, you know, you're in an uphill battle the entire year. Yeah. Who's going to be the bat for LSU? Briggs is going to be good again. We know how talented Taylor Pleasance is. We've said that for years. Sure. Nobody else returning, at least that got, you know, a specific number of at-bats. Nobody else returning hit above 252. So somebody's got to step up. You got to have more 300 hitters in that lineup to back up the pitching staff. If they have an off day, it just, the formula wasn't working last year for whatever reason that, they would have these great weekends. And then, like you said, there would be weekends where you'd say, really, this right. team is doing that. Yeah. So can they avoid that? If the answer is yes, this is a team that can make a run maybe to win the conference, but certainly deep in the postseason. Absolutely. And yeah, as much as we talked about the, the pitching staff, the nobody really reached their potential outside of, of Andrews last year in the, at the plate either. So um, they just got to have more consistency uh, from everybody in the lineup. Yeah. So that's LSU, Alabama at LSU, the first conference series of the year for both teams. Next up, Tom, we go to Columbia. 
Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you shielded from the haters? <laughs> My good friend, Bev Smith. We yes. enjoyed talking Bev to Bev is her. cool. We are yes. friends with Bev. Yes. If we weren't, she wouldn't have come back on this year. <laughs> she would have said no. Right. But she, she said yes, and she's here. <laughs> really, looking, really looking forward for everyone to hear, hear the interview. I think as, as we talked with all our co- all the coaches here, I think everybody was very honest and, and was, you know, was uh, candid about you know, any issues they might have had last year. Bev's the same way. She was she 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 didn't sugarcoat anything. Yeah, and get ready for one of the comments of the year on our transfer portal question because there she said something. We'll talk about it after the interview, but she said something that kind of you know made us both our eyebrows raised a bit because she's right. We've just never heard it put that bluntly. We're previewing it too much. Sorry. We'll step aside for a minute and then get ready to roll the audio from Bev Smith in South Carolina. back Alabama goes to South Carolina this year first off Bev Smith gives a really solid list of restaurants you'll hear that in a moment but most importantly Tom she answered the hard questions that mm-hmm. we had for her and her her team you took some heat as I said earlier for picking South Carolina 13th you nailed it you know and and they're going into a season where they finished 13th last year and they lost two of the best hitters in program history all right. So what's next? I think Bev Smith gives some answers that provide some hope for Gamecock fans. I think I think that I think she does. And yeah, I think even with the loss of those two players, I think they're better this year. So we'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see what she says about it. Yeah, that. here it is. Bev Smith, the head softball coach at South Carolina right now. Softball Media Days continues and we get to talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks, a place that we will visit this year as Alabama takes on South Carolina and Columbia. And we will chat about the Gamecocks, of course, with the head coach, Bev Smith, joining us here on Softball Media Days. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, Coach Smith, welcome in. Good to see you. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Always excited to talk about the Gamecocks. And I'm really curious how uh, how this offseason was for your program. It was a surprise to Tom and me that South Carolina did not make the NCAA tournament last year. We thought resume-wise there was enough to get in. Uh, the committee, and we have lots of thoughts about committees that we've said on this podcast, disagreed. But, you know, after missing the tournament, how did you and your staff look at the program overall and, and try and motivate the players to make sure that that doesn't happen this year? Well, I tell you, um, that was tough, not making the tournament. I agree with you. Uh, I knew we were going to be a team that was on the bubble. I thought, I thought we had enough there with some big wins uh, to be in. So not having our name called after being in for the last eight seasons um, was tough. And particularly my heart broke for our senior class uh, who had been there. Uh, Kenzie McGuire, Matt Gozel and KK Drotar, you know, those, that group had really, um, all been great Gamecocks. And it, for me, my heart broke that those seniors didn't get rewarded uh, to play in one more NCAA tournament. So, so that was tough, but I would tell you in turning the page, it's certainly been motivation and our motivation uh, in moving forward and how we do things this year. So um, I know that if you were sitting in that room, you don't want that feeling again. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that that senior class, including, you know, some of the best players really in program history that, that yeah, will be uh, that have left. And now you got uh, a new squad coming in. How do you look to um, replace the production that those three gave you? Well, I tell you, that's probably the biggest question of the fall is 
who's my middle infield, right? After having Kenzie McGuire and Matt Gozel there for five and six years, both, um, you know, they've, they have been everyday starters their entire career. So now to look and figure out who's our middle infield, we spent a lot of time on that, um, this fall for sure. But I tell you, we've got a lot of young talent. When you look at this Gamecock roster, um, specifically looking at the middle, you've got Emma Sellers, who's a freshman from California, Maddie Gallagher, who is a sophomore from New York and Riley Blampede, who's a sophomore uh, from Georgia. So Maddie and Riley had the opportunity to really be mentored by and learn from Kenzie and Mac both. Um, and Emma Sellers has really come in and, and just had a really solid fall for us. So those are the three we're kind of trying um, at short and second, and we'll probably settle in on something here soon. But all three of those players are very talented and, and can handle it at the SEC level. And coach, you know, you lose those really productive bats in McGuire and Bozel, but you do return a lot of people who maybe just didn't have the numbers that those two had last year. And, you know, you mentioned filling in those voids defensively, but how have those returners responded to kind of the challenge of not only having to fill those spots statistically, but also fill the leadership void this year? Right. I, I think um, the leadership void was probably um, one of the biggest questions. Um, Kenzie McGuire captains our team for the last two seasons um, but the person that's really stepped up in that role has been Jordan Fabian. Uh, Jordan's a, it's always hard to say she's a senior, <laughs> still has another year of eligibility. So she's a junior athletically, a senior academically, but, um, Jordan Fabian has really stepped up and I expect her to have a, uh, a big season, a big season this year, but she's made some great strides athletically on the field. And I think she's been the one to step up and say, Hey, I'm a, I'm going to take over and lead the team. So she's done a really nice job with that this fall. Looking in the circle for you, coach Leah Powell last year uh, had some great outings, including a win over Florida and Gainesville um, and led the team in innings pitch for you. Um, what has she done here in this off season to take the, the next step forward uh, moving into her sophomore season? Yeah. Now that's one thing that'll be consistent about our team is, all of our pitchers return. Um, so our staff is the same. And so we're really looking to make some gains uh, with everybody individually. I think the thing for Leah is she's not going to be a surprise for anybody. Uh, you know, that's the difference about our league and the amount of video. Um, Leah isn't going to surprise anyone. So um, she's been working hard. Um, you know, I we always like to have a little bit of a different look uh, coming into the season. And, um, and Leah's been working a little bit on a rise ball you know, to have something going up in the zone to change batter's eyes. And I think she's done a nice job with that. Um, but I tell you, Carson Oaks uh, has really stood out this fall. And um, she, she, I think she will be a big contributor for us on the mound this year. And then Kelsey O is our fifth year senior um, who, you know, Kelsey O I think has an opportunity to be an elite, elite pitcher if we can keep, keep her healthy. So, um, I think she's getting to that point. And if we get Kelsey Carson and Leah on the mound, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. That was my next question about Kelsey. O because I mean, she was so good her freshman year. And then it just felt like every season there was something, whether it was a knee or an ankle or it just something, some kind of crazy injury that happened that she just couldn't seem to get over that hump, but we know how good she can be from what we saw in her first year in your program. So what has she done in this off season and what does she need to continue to do to get back up to that level this year? 
yeah, I, it really is stay healthy. You know, she had a great freshman season and she was on a roll on the 2020 COVID year. Um, she was really dealing at that point when the season shut down and she um, uh, injured her foot. So whether it was COVID or not, her season was going to end that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, she had a major foot surgery. And uh, so now I think it's just uh, getting back in shape and, and making sure that we can keep her, her foot healthy this year. Are there any other, uh, not just in the circle, but all over your roster, any other uh, newcomers, freshmen, or, or people that we should really be looking out for that's going to be maybe uh, breaking through as a Gamecock this year? Well, I think, um, you know, you mentioned who's going to replace some of the offensive numbers. Um, I think keep an eye out for Katie Preble. She's a senior for us. She uh, will probably start in left field. Uh, I think she's got, um, she's made some strides this fall and has got some power for us. I also think uh, Chooch Carroll, uh, she'll be a sophomore. She'll be somebody to keep your eye out for in terms of probably competing in the DP spot. Um, And then freshman Julia Desiderio um, has really done a nice job uh, in terms of behind the plate and in the infield. So I think she's a freshman that'll see some time. So those should be some uh, fun players to watch. And Chooch Carroll definitely going to be on the list for your all name team this year, Tom, which uh, yes, just incredible, absolutely. an incredible name. <laughs> South yeah, Carolina, I, go ahead. Uh, I, yeah, I, um, I was going to say too, um, you know, last year we were, we were really out for starters and, um, and we get those back that we get two of them back this year with um, Haley Simpson is back in the lineup. She was out with an injury and Lauren Stewart, uh, is back. So I've got two players who were out last season uh, with injuries that will be back. And I expect both of those players to start as well. South Carolina head coach Bev Smith joining us here for softball media days. And uh, coach, as we record, your non-conference schedule is not out. You gave us a little tease as before we got on and started chatting, but how excited are you about the non-conference slate that you've got set for this team and also the conference slate? I mean, there are some intriguing matchups ahead of you this year. No doubt. And I think that's always the, the, the fun part as a coach is putting that schedule together. And, um, you know, I believe you've got to challenge your team in the non-conference schedule to be prepared to go into SEC. So I believe I've done that, um, with the, with the teams we have, we're hosting two tournaments here in Columbia. Um, we've got a lot of ACC schools coming. So Virginia, uh, Virginia, North Carolina will be here opening weekend with George Washington. Um, They were an NCAA team last year, so that'll be a really strong tournament. And then in our second tournament, I've got um, Virginia Tech will be here with Ohio State and uh, Miami of Ohio, all tournament teams. So that that tournament and Troy. So that that third week tournament is going to be a really nice uh, competitive tournament for everyone. Um, and then of course I've got Clemson twice on the schedule. So we go through, um, I've got several ACC schools on the team. So on the, on the schedule. So I think it'll be a really nice non-con slate. Uh, we have some questions that we've been asking a lot of the coaches kind of more philosophical or just general questions about what's been going on. And, uh, one of the first ones to talk about is there were a lot of, a lot of news in the off season this year and, and one of it was a couple of pretty major programs are going to be joining the SEC in the next couple of seasons with Oklahoma and Texas coming in. And 
Uh, just your, your thoughts of the SEC expanding what is already the best conference in college softball getting uh, enormously tougher. <laughs> yes, no, no doubt. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, um, how we end up doing the schedules for that. But, um, you know, we sell it all the time in recruiting. If, if, if you want to come play in the best conference, come play in the SEC. And I think having uh, Texas and OU come just makes it that much stronger. When this news broke, because this is the first time I've asked any coaches this, so I'm curious what your answer will be. Is there Was there a group chat with all the coaches and everyone was saying, oh, my gosh, we're adding two really good programs to the conference? What was what was the reaction amongst the coaches? Um, you know, we did not it did not go in the group chat. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about it in our head coaches meetings. I think everybody's curious about what scheduling is going to look like, how many teams will we have in the tournament. Um, you talk about the making the SEC tournament um, really its own event, right? I mean, the fact that everybody comes to the tournament and you can get some matchups there that you didn't see in the preseason, it's, um, it, it could be really exciting. But, uh, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, pour it on. It, it doesn't matter. You never get a weekend off SEC weekend anyways. You're playing all top five, top ten opponents. I mean, just – Pour it on. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, speaking of uh, pouring it on, too, we've, we've been going through uh, what everybody, you know, the world has been going through the last 18 months or so, the pandemic and what happened in 2020, 2021. Things kind of getting back to normal, but it was still a little bit, a little bit weird in 2021. Uh, how has dealing with what everything has been going on COVID-wise and how has that or has it changed the way that you uh, approach coaching your team or, or, or interacting with your squad? Wow. I tell you, um, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that our, our student athletes are having a little bit more of a normal experience this year. And the fact that they're going to in-person classes, uh, that we can eat together in the dining hall, those kind of things make such a big difference this season. Last year, it was tough. It was, it was, um, we had a lot of different things to manage and it was a really difficult, um, season and I say that outside of wins and losses just all the different things to manage with the things going on in the world and politics and COVID it was a lot so I'm just thankful that this year the freshmen coming in are getting that true freshman experience in the sense that we can dine together in the dining hall they're going to classes you know we're still very careful um, indoors with masks but outside they've they've let up the restrictions with that so when we train you just feel a little more normal. And uh, I think that's helped a lot, a lot this season so far. So we, we've enjoyed, we've enjoyed the fall and um, certainly we still try to be careful and do what we need to do, but uh, uh, it, it does feel a little more normal. I like that you bring up the togetherness coach, because that was kind of the thing Tom and I missed most about doing radio last year. We could go on the road, but you couldn't really interact with, a coach or a player at all, like, unless you're waving from across the hotel lobby for TV games, we could do the zooms with the coaches, but we couldn't go down and chat with the coaches before we couldn't talk during the games. So to have things back to normal, I, I think you're exactly right. It's going to be really nice this year. Yes, exactly. And I've, I've noticed that out recruiting, you know, some teams you're just not sure right now, are we supposed to shake hands at the end of the game? Do we not? Are we waving, you know, so there's still some of that awkwardness out. It's, um, I, like I said, I'm just glad we're back to recruiting. You know, we didn't get to do that last fall. So it, it's been nice to get back 
get back to normal. Uh, also, we've seen it here in the last few years, the kind of the explosion of the transfer portal and, and how, you know, player, it's kind of a, a, a fact of life now that, that players are just going to go in the portal and you can go in there. Has that changed the way that you recruit or how you set up, you know, years down the road in your program that, you know, you, you have the possibility of maybe being able to, to jump in the portal and grab somebody if necessary? Yeah, well, let me let me point this out to you guys is that no coach right now knows exactly who's on their team, right? Because right yeah. now a player can still enter the portal. So a player of mine can leave tomorrow, enter the portal and compete and compete on someone else's team in January. So mm-hmm. that is a loophole that we still have to tie up. I think as an organization, my, my personal opinion is I think a coach should know who's on your team in August. Right. I Agreed. think you want on your team, you want to train them and let's go. And anybody that wants to leave in June can leave, right. And go wherever you want to go. I'm fine with that, but I'd like to know who's on my team in August, but by the rule right now, I technically don't know who's on my team. And, mm. and because I, I could get someone out of the portal tomorrow as well. Right. Mm. They can here and join my team in January. So we have not taken a team picture and I have not printed, um, I haven't printed lineup cards yet. And it's for that reason is that a coach does not know who's on their team until January. So, um, so I believe that the transfer portal is good in the sense that it gives the student athletes the opportunity, um, to go and it, and the schools shouldn't have the right to tell you where you can go and where you can transfer to. Um, but I am a believer in this time frame, And I think you, you, you should be on the team you're on in the fall and transfer where you want to go in the spring. But, um, you know, it's, um, and, and then there's a dark side to it too. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of being coached into the portal you know, sometimes and I've talked to coaches this summer who felt like they had to re-recruit players on their team because coaches were, you know, mm. trying, uh, trying to move athletes around. So there's a, there's a dirty underbelly to it. But um, for the most part, if you're not happy, you have an opportunity to go in the portal. And um, so we'll see how all that shakes out. But for me, for me personally, I do think it's smart to have for players who have some experience. Uh, There's something to be said for that. So um, I do think it has adjusted the way people look at recruiting. Well, coach, last year we asked you about rules changes that you would want to make. And I feel like if we asked you that question this year, we, we just got our answer, but (laughs) in the off season, we did get a lot of rules changes and many that Tom and I, and many people across softball were excited about the extra day at the world series, praise the Lord out of the box has been, you know, been corrected. It, it, Tom and I like it the way it is. Um, We thought the old rule was just too strict. Uh, A lot of changes with replay coming to softball as well. Was there anything that stuck out to you that you were really excited to see? I I do agree with the, with um, the delay dead ball on the, out of the box. Um, I I agree with you. I think the penalty was just too severe with the out. Um, And so now I think maybe we'll get it called more consistently because the, um, the penalty is probably more fitting. Uh, So I think that's good. And I am excited about instant replay. Um, in league play this year. I think that'll be, um, 
I think that'll add a nice dynamic to the game. And something else that's happened that is affecting all of college sports is NIL uh, coming through and, and all softball players have been able to take advantage of that as well. And uh, just your thoughts on, on that and how you've been able to do that there at South Carolina. Yeah, I think what a great opportunity for the student athletes. I think South Carolina has done a great job. Uh, we have a consulting firm that's come in to help educate the student athletes. Um, you know, they have the opportunity to, to get some pictures if they want to use. Um, we have a platform they can grab pictures from if they want to use pictures to post and things like that. So I think South Carolina has done a nice job in the education piece and, uh, and, and just being helpful to um, help them understand the opportunities that are out there for them. So I, I think that's going to be an interesting part that's going to continue to grow. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll build on it outside of this first year. South Carolina head coach Bev Smith joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, we referenced earlier Alabama at South Carolina this upcoming season. That is the preface for the most important question of the interview. Tom, please take it away. Yeah, we, we do a segment here on the podcast uh, called Tom's Hungry, where we review and talk about the places we eat when we're out on the road. Uh, and like, like Gray said, we're coming to Columbia this, this year. Um, we need some recommendations. Where, where do we need to make sure that we hit uh, to get some good grub when we're in, in Columbia? Oh, I'm really good at this game. I'm yes. really good. Okay. I need, I need um, some specifics about what you're looking for though. Like what's like, are you like the best steak in the, in the, are we, yes. are we going to holler this? All huge? meals, breakfast, dinner, whatever. What yes. What's the um, best? Okay. I think you've got to go to Hall's Steakhouse and get a steak at Hall's. So that's going to be your nice meal. Bring your wallet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Breakfast. I think you have to visit the cinnamon roll deli. Ooh. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Mark that one down. You have to go to the cinnamon roll deli. Um, My local, my local, um, I'll just call it my local Italian spot, uh, El Giorgio on Divine Street. It's just a little local neighborhood place. That's a, you can't miss that. That's, that's awesome. There, there really are some fantastic restaurants in Columbia. So you might have to come back. I'm I'm down for that. Absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome. Absolutely. But yeah, if you hit halls, Cinnamon Roll Deli and El Giorgio, you'll you'll have enjoyed your time in Colombia for sure. We got the itinerary. Uh, what about are you are you drinking while you're here? Uh, always, Possibly. yes. Possibly, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. It, well, I will say, coach, it depends on how the game goes. <laughs> okay, okay. Hopefully, you're hopefully you're drinking heavily. Um, and I would say I'm gonna send you to a rooftop bar on um, called Hendrix. Nice. Yes. Okay. So that should that should do you guys for a little bit. I'm I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of rooftop bars. Those are always fun. Okay. Yeah. Hendrix is your rooftop bar you need to visit. That's fantastic. I think that pretty much fills out the itinerary for the trip. So there we go. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, South Carolina head coach Bev Smith joining us here for softball media days. Coach, thank you so much. Always good to see you. Best of luck this year, and uh, we'll see you in Columbia. Maybe, maybe at Hall Steakhouse. That's true. That's true. Maybe we'll have a little bet on the game. Well, I probably should. <laughs> I don't know. Tom and I have 
made one stake bet ever and we lost to Jen Schroeder and Tara Henry for Alabama yeah. UCLA basketball. So our track yeah. record does not suggest we do it again. <laughs> well, I will look forward to seeing you guys here. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care. So there is softball head coach at South Carolina, Bev Smith, the third coach here on day three of softball media days. Tom, a lot we could discuss based on her comments, the pitching staff. Yes, it is big. Last year, there wasn't really an ace until late when Leah Powell kind of pulled away. I think we both expect her to be in that role this year, but I want to talk about the transfer portal comment. She said every day, we coaches do not know who is on our team. And that was a jarring thing to say. And it's true. Right. Yeah, because because of the loophole right now in the rule, someone could literally leave right now and play for another team in the next in this season. Um, so that that loophole needs to be closed. If you play fall ball with a team, that should be your team for the spring. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's that's one of those that I think everyone is in agreement on. The rule just has to be be passed. Um, but yeah, that, that's gotta be a really tough position for coaches to be in because now you've added, you've basically the way the transfer portal is you've added another recruiting cycle for the coaches because you're not only recruiting for future, you have to re-recruit your own players every yeah. year too. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a tough position for coaches to be in. That being said, I'm not saying it's a bad position because you've given players more, you know, leeway and more choices, which is ultimately i think a good thing but it, it's it's created some issues if you're the coach as far as roster management that's why we asked that's why i wanted to ask everybody this question and see their thoughts on it because it's got to change what your roster management and your recruiting strategy is every year when you you know this person that you may have penciled in for to be a starter for four years um he might you know she may start looking elsewhere yeah it's interesting. I, I didn't remember, honestly, so thank you to Coach Smith that Lauren Stewart was coming back. She had a really good year a couple seasons ago. She was out, but she's returning, and that's important with mm. McGuire and Bozel gone. You know, the pitching again, though, is kind of the thing that is going to be most interesting to follow. I think Leah Powell's got great potential. With Kelsey O, I know Coach said a lot about her and said that, you know, she's working to get back and that they think she can. I feel like I need to see it if she can go a full season and be as dominant as she was right. early in her career. But again, you know, I, I expect South Carolina to make the tournament. I'll say that. I do expect South Carolina to make the NCAA tournament this year. I think we both thought they should have made it last year. Yeah. And I, I, even if they don't have a huge jump in record, uh, I think they're going to be overall a better team than they were last year. And, and they're going to be one of those teams where even if they're a two or maybe even possibly a three seed in a regional uh, could make some, some noise in that regional. Um, also, I'd, I'd like to commend Coach uh, Smith for a great zinger on the uh, when we asked <laughs> on the uh, drinking heavily segment. Uh, so that was fun. Yes. Uh, well done. Yes. Well done, Coach. So, you know, even, you know, we've seen years where teams have struggled to put South Carolina away in those situations. Alabama 2019 lost the series to South Carolina yep. in South Carolina. It is a tough place to go and play. It's just, it's a little different than everywhere else. I don't, it's hard to really describe. It. I don't know why, but yeah, it, I, is. it is. There's something about right. it that makes it tough to play there. Yeah. So Alabama's going to have to be, you know, just speaking from Alabama's point of view, Alabama's going to have to have their A game, regardless of whatever South Carolina's record is by the time we get there. They're going to have to play well to get a, get a series victory on the road in Columbia. Either way, I don't care how the game goes. We'll probably go to a bar at some point. Right. But, Yes. The cinnamon roll deli Ooh. that is happening every night. 
or every morning. I don't care. Either any meal, all day. 100%. Depending on what time the game is, we'll be at the Cinnamon Roll Deli. We'll do a live podcast there. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. Cinnamon Roll Deli, you're getting an email very it, soon. It might replace uh, Good Bull as our, our favorite spot. R.I.P. R.I.P. We're going to have a memorial service in episode four <laughs> for our friends at Good Bull. That's the Gamecocks. Up next, an Ole Miss team that is tough to crack. I'm not sure what to think. Uh, but we do talk with their head coach, Jamie Traxel, about the Rebels. We'll preview it in a bit when we get back here on Out of the Box. Welcome back. Day three continues and finishes off with the Ole Miss Rebels and their head coach, Jamie Traxel, entering her second year in Oxford. 36-22 and 22 last year, 12-12 and 12 in the conference, better than we expected. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of the stuff after that was a darkish cloud over Oxford, the the tussle in Tucson, which I'm now coining, apparently. I like that. We did not ask Coach Traxel about it. We did ask her about all the offseason stuff and those reports that came out. It is very important to say that Ole Miss cleared everybody of everything, of all wrongdoing. But as we said early on, at the very least, it's a distraction. They lost a lot more people than I thought. They have a, a very young team. They also add Bree Roper from Georgia Tech, who we'll talk about with Coach Traxel in a minute. Bottom line, what is Ole Miss? I, I don't really know. Yeah, they're, they're, I'm not sure if they've reached Kentucky le- level of enigma-ness, but yeah, there's, it, it's hard to really pin down what they are yet. Um, maybe that will become more clear as we start playing some games, but it, it's, it's, really, it's really up in the air what the Rebels will be. Most importantly, as we talked about earlier, I think most importantly for Ole Miss, if you're an Ole Miss fan, is you just want – you want stability. You want mm-hmm. there not to be any waves. You don't want there to be any he- – the only headlines need to be about what's happening on the field. Yeah, quiet ear. Yeah. That's, that's what that's, you're looking for. That's the main thing. <laughs> Let Lane Kiffin handle yes. the Twitter, and then we'll and we'll just hang out. Let Lane Kiffin take all the headlines. You just plug along, win. And, I, you know, I don't think that they're going to do that because Coach Traxel talked about how, you know, they, they've really been working this year on building the culture and working on that foundation. And I think, like you said, bringing that stability – that's been a bit tough to find this year. And and that's why I think this is one of the more interesting interviews we had. We've talked a lot about these interviews going in. This is probably the one we had the most discussion about and how to ask some of these questions. And I think that coach Traxel answered them well. Yeah, she did. And, and, uh, you know, credit to her for talking about certain things that she did. I don't think she, I don't think she dodged anything. I think she, she answered the questions. I think part of the stability or lack thereof was, Again, and that's something I, I, I referenced with uh, Coach Traxel here in this interview is, you know, she came in the literally in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. You know, she got there. She wasn't able to uh, to, to really meet some of her players face to face for months after she was their head coach. So it, whatever culture you're trying to do, that it, it takes a little time, especially when you're you're going through all what was going on COVID wise. So. Um, and you add in a program that was already unstable with, right. you know, all the coaching stuff that has happened the last couple of years prior. Yeah. Had a year of an interim head coach. You had all this stuff going on. So you, you, you got to think as if you're a player at Ole Miss, you're, you are craving that stability and the structure mm-hmm. and, and hopefully that's what they're able to provide here this year. Here she is, Jamie Traxel, the head coach at the university of Mississippi. The rebels are next here in softball media days presented by Anthony Sonella realty. Softball Media Days rolls along and we head to Oxford down in Mississippi. Ole Miss, the team we're going to discuss with their head coach, Jamie Traxel. Coach, 
Good to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate the opportunity. Good to see you guys. Coach, there's a lot that we're going to talk about, especially about this upcoming year. Some people that we're really excited to see on your team. But, you know, it was a difficult offseason for your squad. There shouldn't be any issues going forward. But how were you and your, your staff able to galvanize the team through all that and get them ready for this year? Uh, you know, we just, you know, you kind of take it one step at a time. And, um, you know, we're always committed to the to the people that are in this program. And we have a great administration. And, um and we just kept working through, like we just kept sending the message of why we're all here, why we're all united. Um, our job and our responsibility as coaches is to take care of the people that are in this program. That's always been our message and that's always been what we've done. And uh, we've been consistent with that and we've just continued to move forward and move forward together. Last season was a, a really good one, I think, for your squad, your first year in Oxford. And uh, one of the big surprises really in the conference, you're in the preseason poll finished or uh, projected to finish 13, ended up finished eighth. Uh, but going in a couple of weeks left in the season, uh, you guys were still in, in the very top of the league and had that opportunity. Uh, what will you, how are you going to be able to use how well things went last year to kind of springboard into 2022? Yeah, I think we just kind of focus on a lot of things that we can control, you know, stay within ourselves. Who are we? Um, what are we going to be about? What's our identity? How are we going to go out there and compete and challenge the win softball games and um, piece it together? Can't try to be someone that we're not. Uh, we don't need to be. So what is our strength? Um, how do we use that? Obviously, communicating with our pitchers, our defense and our offense and, and getting a, and making sure our athletes have a really clear understanding of, of what we want, what our expectations are and what our identity is going to be and buying into that. And then just keeping it a game of execution. So uh, we have a lot of confidence and belief in, in who we are and what we're capable of doing. And we don't make it more complicated than that, to be honest. And Coach, one of the strengths, I'm not breaking any news here, but it's Tate Whitley. And she was such an important part of your yeah. offense last year. Now she's coming back. You, you lost a lot of production, but she's one of the big ones returning. How do you plan on using her throughout the year? And what does she bring to your offense overall? Yeah, she's, she had a great year, um, especially on base percent. She's a tough out um, on base percentage, found different ways to get on base. And she's continued, continued to elevate her game, um, even off offensively. And so really incorporating a lot of like just standing and swinging versus just slopping and, and utilizing her short game, really becoming a triple threat and being a, an RBI producer for us, for us in this fall season. And we look forward to, letting her continue to build her tool, her tool set and uh, reading the defense, but being someone who can stand in there when there are people in scoring position and be a run producer, not just a run scorer for us. And who are some of the other names that are going to be plugging in on that offense and offense that did, it did lose a lot of the power from last year, lost half the home runs that, that you hit, uh, have graduated uh, and moved on. But uh, who are some of the names you're going to be looking to plug in here this year? Yeah, I think Abby Latham, um, probably going to be one of our most consistent power threats um, has been throughout her career um, is a dangerous hitter is very smart, uh, loves hitting, loves game planning. So Abby uh, Sigateras, who's going to be what was our first baseman hits in the middle of our lineup. Um, maybe not as traditional and just in the power, but um, had a lot of RBIs and, and came through in a lot of big situations for us. And Michaela um, Ali, our shortstop, she's got, she's a, just so I think quietly one of the best shortstops in, in the country on the defensive side, but she's got great offensive weapons and she's had one of our best falls for us, obviously has a ton of experience. 
um, has great hand-eye coordination, is a situational hitter, but um, has done a really good job of driving the ball and, um, and hitting for power throughout, throughout our fall season. So uh, we do have good leadership coming back and people who've been in those situations and then obviously Paige Smith, who I think led our team in home runs last year too, is um, it was our starting third baseman. So we got Paige coming back as well uh, for a lot of power. And they've done a really good job continuing to get better themselves and helping our newcomers and our young freshmen adapt and work with them and understanding what we, what we do, how we do things, what the language is, what our terminology means, and kind of helping bridge that gap between the two levels. Coach Traxel, you mentioned newcomers, and for the second year in a row, I get to ask you about one of my FGCL girls. Bree Roper is coming yeah. to Ole Miss, and she was so good at Georgia Tech. She was really one of the bright spots on an offense that kind of yeah. struggled last year. What does she bring to the program, and how excited are you to put her wherever? Because she's a good infielder and a really good outfielder. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing that. Um, utility player, that's important for us, and um, it was her offense, too. You know, left side. She has great composure, a really even temperament. Obviously, she has a lot of experience and a lot of success at a high level. So uh, we're looking forward to having that in our lineup at the top or in the middle of our lineup too, kind of figuring out how to balance everybody. But um, that was something we knew we wanted was to add an experienced hitter and someone who's had a really good career and she's had a great career. So um, excited about her on both sides of the ball, actually. So she's been a, a great surprise. And um, we've had her in the outfield a little bit, so she's doing really well out there. But, you know, we definitely look for confusion, confidence, her confidence, her demeanor. Uh, she's very calm, very composed, very collected. And uh, so we look for that to add to the depth of our hitters, especially with then we're falling off into our young freshmen. So you add a, a player to the level of Roper. And with something we've seen, you know, all over the all over the nation is just the explosion of the transfer portal and, uh, there, there are more people in there than there ever has been. Uh, does that change the way that you recruit or kind of set up your, your program and your roster when you know that you have the opportunity to maybe go into the portal and, and grab, grab somebody? Well, it's always a, it's another recruiting tool, you know, that's available. And as we transition, especially as a new coaching staff um, and work through the first couple of years, um, you know, we always know that that's, that is a place that, it might, you might find the right fit, might be a piece that you're looking for, might be the right, it has to be obviously the right fit, the right time too. So we're always open to finding the best players that will fit our program and our vision and our culture. Ole Miss head coach Jamie Traxel joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, let's talk pitching. You, you bring back two really important arms in Savannah Diedrich and Anna Borgen. You add Brooke Vestal from Oklahoma, which I, I think is going to be really fun to see her get a chance yeah. to shine after not throwing a lot at OU. How do you plan on utilizing that staff and how have they looked so far this fall? Great. Um, they've had a great fall and Riker's done a tremendous job with, with all the pitchers um, and all the returners. And I know, I think I can speak for all of us coaches just here too, of walking in and, and having, you know, players that understand how we do things, how we train, what our terminology is. I know even when he walked in the bullpen, he's, I think we're all like, gosh, thank Thank goodness for a year too, you know, um, and them having a great foundation and understanding of, of how they train and, and his expectations. So he's always been about building a staff. We've always been about building a staff and how to use uh, the different strengths that we have from each player um, best. So that's been a big focus of ours, not only their own individual development, but how do we use each of our pitchers and their strengths with each other and who is best following 
um, different different pictures. So uh, we've had a lot of live, a lot of live at bats. We've collected a lot of data um, individually and as a staff, and look forward to continuing to do that moving forward, so we can use them all together for balancing their own strengths and then balancing against our opponent and uh, and what we need with the offense that we're about to face. And you do have a staff and that's, I think that, that's really important in college softball today is you have to, you can't rely on just one person. You need to have a full staff. How important is that to have the staff and then to be able to find, you know, the right combination of who to pitch in certain games? You know, we think that's going to be, you know, one of the reasons we can challenge be successful this year consistently, uh, regardless of who we're playing um, different matchups, um, you know, different, different looks, um, you know, people following different people from the hard and down the off speed to the, the little bit spinny up in the zone. Um, and we've been kind of building that and then getting comfortable and confident and then, you know, communicating that with our pitchers too. And they understand that that is something that we continue to look at. And um, they've really bought into being a staff. Riker's done an incredible, incredible job with them. So they bought into that role and the understanding of what that means um, not just based on, you know, equal and, and fair innings, but what that means and, and why, the, why we're doing it. So um, we're excited for the growth that they've had, um, especially now that we have a great foundation from the fall and moving forward and continuing to build that staff together so we can go out and put together, you know, give ourselves the best opportunity to be successful. Coach, correct me if I'm wrong, and, and Tom and I have always said it's always dangerous to do math on the air or on podcasts, but I've got 11 new additions on the team this year with yeah. nine freshmen and, and the transfers coming in. Yeah. It's a huge number. Who should we be on the lookout for this year? Yeah, we have 11 returners and 11 newcomers. So uh, nine freshmen. So it's been uh, fun at practice, uh, a lot of energy, a lot of, you know, players who've been very open growth mentality and mindset. And uh, it's been fun to come, but we have a really talented freshman class. You know, we really do. And, um, they continue to get better and they continue to push each other to be better, but uh, it's hard to just single out one or two of them. And obviously we have a big class, so it's hard to go through all of them, but we have a balance of, you know, defensive specialists to some true power, game-changing swings. Um, you know, people who can play multiple positions and who have, who will be competing and challenging for playing time and starting positions and pushing our returners to do the same. So uh, it's hard to signal out one or two of them because um, we have some open spots um, and we have a do, we do have a big class, but they are a very balanced class. We have catchers, pitchers, infield and outfielders in there. Uh, they can hit, they can defend. Um, and, you know, they've been, they've been getting better each and every week that we've been training them and uh, it's been fun to see their growth. So I'm going to move into a couple of our more uh, philosophical uh, or just general questions that we're asking most of the coaches. And the first one is uh, the big, big news over the offseason for the SEC was the addition of two new programs and be coming in uh, at some point in the future. Uh, it could be, you know, in a couple of years, could be two or three down the road. But uh, Oklahoma and Texas coming in, uh, Oklahoma, obviously one of the great best programs in the nation. Texas right there as well. Um, what are your thoughts on adding those two just powerhouse programs? You know, it's uh, I think the SEC challenges, if not, is the best, you know, softball conference in the country and they just make us stronger. You know, I don't, I think that's a, that's a good thing for everybody. You don't play everybody in the same year. It's a big conference now. So I think they're going to, I know they're, you know, going to spend some time figuring out how to schedule and how to break that up and what they're going to do with the scheduling piece of it. But 
Um, I think that they make us stronger, um, two great programs financially. This is always been, this is a conference that, you know, is financially very stable. They add to that as well. And, um, you know, I think just with the strength of our conference and adding them, they just improve our opportunities to be challenged to be top 16 seeds, to host for regionals, to host for supers and, and extend our season as long as possible, which is the ultimate goal, no matter what. Coach, I knew I know that you knew it was going to be a tough job coming to the SEC because everybody's good. But I mean, when you came down here from Minnesota, did you have any idea what this league could be? Because, you know, Tom mentioned it, Oklahoma, they've yeah. made it to the World Series 90 percent of right. the time in the last decade. <laughs> Texas has been right there as well. I mean, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's going to be almost impossible to get sweeps anywhere. This right. conference is just going to be so tough. Yeah, it is. It's the gauntlet. I mean, it's, you know, we say it's all the time. You have to kind of be prepared to get punched in the mouth on Friday and um, come back and punch someone else in the mouth on Saturday. And, you know, who you go through everything with and who you're in the trenches with matters a lot. And I have a lot of confidence and belief in our staff and our game planning. And, uh, but it is, I mean, it's a different, a little different mentality and mindset because every, every time you step on the field, anybody can beat anybody and every game matters. I mean, every single game, regardless of what happened Friday and Saturday, that Sunday game is, is just as important, even maybe even more important. So um, there's no days off for sure. Um, and uh, you have to be on your A game all the time. Your level of preparation, you know, is got to, if you're preparing for a super regional team each and every weekend. Um, and I think just the, the mentality that goes into that, the effort and the energy collectively from the top all the way down, um, you know, it, it makes it fun though, to be honest with you. Like it's why you do this is have the opportunity to play where your season is on the line each and every week and that you go out and, um, and to be prepared to play your best when it matters the most, this, con- this conference prepares you for that. Well, Tom and I were really excited to see that news. We were thrilled when we saw the press release about the rules changes, some much needed things happening across college softball replay is coming. Uh, God bless. We've got an extra day at the world series. No one needs to play until 4.00 AM out of the box has changed, which, which we both endorse here on this podcast. There are multiple other things. Was there anything that caught your eye that you really loved about some of the changes that were made for the sport? Um, I don't know if I would say one over anything else, but I, there wasn't anything that crossed our desk that we were either surprised about or would have thought twice about it either. Probably same as you guys, you know, um, just understand the rules. I think everyone understands why some of those changes were made and for what reason. And it's to add to the consistency of the calls in the game. And then even the replay, I think is probably the biggest thing you know, and you put so much into it and one call can determine the outcome of our game, you know, just kind of feeling like it's not about who's right, it's about getting it right and to give us, all of us, the best opportunity for that call to be made right and the winner to be, you know, not be determined by a call. Uh, even just human error, I think, is probably the, the most beneficial moving forward. And obviously we have a conference that supports that um, and is going to implement that too and even support it financially. So that's awesome. And also in the last couple of years, we've all gone through uh, the COVID pandemic and, and, and dealt with that. And uh, you have a unique perspective on it because you made a job change in the middle of a pandemic and came down yeah. to Oxford uh, in 2020. And um, just how has, you know, going through everything we've gone through pandemic wise, the uncertainty, uh, 2021 being kind of back to normal, but not 100 percent. Has that changed the way that you coach or your philosophies on anything? 
It's a good question. It's uh, it's been a year and a half. <laughs> um, you know, I I don't know. I think it, you continue to be grateful. You know, I think even take advantage of the time that you do have with family, you know, and friends and, and even like your athletes. Um, it's nice having meetings in person. We didn't have that the whole first year, especially as a new staff. So um, year two with just some of the relationships and being able to continue to build the relationships and the communication that we have with all our current student athletes and just continue to, to dive into Ole Miss and, and, you know, the other, the other great coaching staffs here on campus, Oxford community is incredible, uh, very supportive. So I think just being able to like, kind of like immerse ourselves a little bit more into Oxford and Ole Miss and continue to build our program and build it from the inside out with our people and our relationships. Now that we actually get to spend a little more time together uh, has been something we've really kind of like look forward to and continue looking forward to building um, our culture. Ole Miss head coach Jamie Traxel joining us here on Softball Media Days. Just a couple more things we want to get to, Coach. Uh, the first being NIL, another big change. Gosh, what an offseason it was. Yeah. And I'm curious how your team has responded to NIL. Has that impacted your players at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them, we've had a lot of education from our administration, and I think that's been important. Um, it's actually a lot tor- more towards our, our athletes, too. Um, so I know there's opportunities that they've been able to take advantage of and learn from. And I think it's going to even take another year or two just for everyone to get really good understanding, a good feel, even businesses about what those opportunities look like. But um, anytime that we can get our athletes um, in a position to support themselves and benefit from who they are um, and the popularity that they do have in the platforms they get to use is obviously something that we're always we're really excited about. So I think as we continue moving through this year one into two and three, it'll continue to like become more prevalent in even within our team as well. But we have a lot of education um, sessions and I'm excited and proud of like, does our athletes get that training regardless of where they are, whether they're benefiting from it or not, or whether they will in the future. Uh, that's that's one thing that I don't think everyone really thought of when it was first put out there, but it's, and we've seen it, especially in, you know, in programs in the SEC is that how much the actual administrations of, of the schools mm-hmm. are helping out. It's not just, it's not just the wild, wild West and, and, and the kids are just thrown out there and have to film, fend for themselves. They do have a lot, a lot of advocates yeah. within their own, within the program. Yeah. Ole Miss has been real proactive in a, in a couple of different things. And uh, they've actually been committed kind of anticipating um, that this was going to clear at some point. So I know they've been, they were working with a company for about three years to try to like get this set up for when the time came. And so they've been really on the, on the forefront of being organized with it, getting settled with it, and then having education for both the coaches and the athletes um, heading into it. But very forward thinking from our administration um, that we have great leadership when it comes to that and we all benefit from it. All right, Coach. We've gotten we've gotten all that other stuff out of the way. Now to the really important thing. Uh, last year we asked you this question, and you you know you had just gotten there. You were, you weren't really sure yet. So uh, but food? we yes we ha- <laughs> we we have a, we have a segment on the podcast called Tom's Hungry, where we review okay. the places that we eat when we're out on the road. Um, so wanted to get your recommendations. Next time we're in Oxford, where do we need to go for Tom's Hungry? I hear St. Leo all the time. Um, so I know that's a favorite of our staff. I actually haven't been there yet, but that's kind of the favorite right now. Um, Bure, uh, that's probably one of my favorite places um, on the square, some Cajun food, um, El Gaves, 
Mexican can't go wrong with that. And um, so I, I, you can't go wrong with anything because everyone who comes here and every time we go out somewhere, everyone raves about the food and the quality of it. So uh, I don't think you can make a bad choice here. Have you been able to, uh, game day is coming this Saturday. Have you been able to experience the Grove? Yeah. Yeah. We've had a couple of recruiting weekends with some home uh, football contests, especially the SEC games. It's something to see. It doesn't disappoint. Um, the pictures are what they are. It's not like it's an, an oversell by any means. And then in person, just the feel and the energy of it um, is something that's really almost hard to describe, even though it looks the same, probably being a little bit better in person, but the energy is something. And I know they say it's a bucket list for people and it, it doesn't disappoint. Well, we're really excited to watch that Ole Miss football game this week, and we'll yeah. see if Katy Perry is actually the guest picker. We're yeah. very excited <laughs> to watch the Rebels this spring as well. Coach Jamie Traxel joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, thank you so much. Always good to see you, and we'll see you not this year because Ole Miss isn't on the schedule, but we will see you at the SEC tournament uh, once the regular season is concluded. Sounds good. Thank you for the opportunity. Happy holidays. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach. All right, that is Jamie Traxel the head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels. A couple things that I thought about after we did that interview. One, very excited to see where our girl Brie Roper ends up, whether it will be in the infield and the outfield. She can hit. I mean, she was crushing it all summer. She crushed it at Georgia Tech last year. A perennial nominee for FGCL Player of the Week. So excited to see how Ole Miss, is, Ole Miss uses her. And then as for, you know, the way we asked that first question, I'm sure some people out there are saying, why didn't you press more? And, you know, here on this podcast, that's not really our job. We're not trying to be the investigators. We're not trying to do investigative journalism. The facts that we have are the stories that came out and the fact that Ole Miss was cleared of it. And that's what we know. We asked her about that. I thought she gave a really great answer. And then we moved on and talked about her team this year. Yeah, I think that's all you can do because there's nothing else is going to come of it. Yeah. So there's no reason to, to dwell on it. Um and yeah, I think you do the same thing that the coaches are doing and that's, you know, move on from it. Uh, we, we addressed it, she addressed it, and then we got into what's happening on the field. And that's going to be, uh, again, the most important thing for Ole Miss is just, you know, putting out a, a good product on the field, one that continues to uh, improve as the season goes along. Um, and if they do that, no matter where they end up falling in the overall SEC standings, they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. They can play spoiler as well. Missouri, Arkansas, Florida, Tennessee, the four conference home series for Ole Miss. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's that. That's I kind of agree with what you're saying. It, they may be more of a spoiler. I don't know if you're going to be talking about Ole Miss at the top of the standings. Uh, but, you know, we again, we looked at it last year and about halfway through the season, we were like, look at, Ole look Miss. at this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they may, may be able to put themselves in that position again. The pitching staff, Borgen, Diedrich, uh, Vestal, I'm very curious where the Oklahoma transfer fits in. But, you know, like we've said, and I think we might be beating a dead horse here with Ole Miss, we're just not totally sure. And we're excited to see what that team looks like here this season. Looking at it, that may be the most turnover that we've seen on any of our rosters. Yeah. There's so a lot of orange on this packet yeah. page, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, just under 60% of the RBIs returning and right at 75% of the innings pitch. So, you know, not a ton of super duper important players in the pitching staff and somewhat offensively, but there were some big pieces missing. So we'll see how the Rebels look after that. That does wrap up day three of Softball Media Days presented by Anthony Sinello Realty. Tom, what say we take a break and then come back and recap the day and then get you ready for what should be a very intriguing 
day four. It's quite the wrap-up show. Yes. We, we just, again, we don't stop talking, but that's our job, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back as we get ready to wrap up. Softball Media Day is day three here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Ah, uh, yes. Day three is done. What a wonderful day. As I start singing the Mr. Rogers theme song, Tim Walton, Beth Tarina, Bev Smith, Jamie Traxel, Tom, any final thoughts from these four coaches today? A supersized show for us. It was. Yeah, we, we got knocked out four big ones and kind of, I think one thing, one of the way things that we look at when we uh, map out how these episodes are going to go is you want teams that are kind of in different positions. And I think you did a good job here again in episode three. A uh, couple of coaches in Walton and Serena that we think are going to be vying for the SEC championship. And then and then two coaches, Smith and Traxel, and that are trying to improve upon what they did last year. And everyone's kind of in, in a different spot, but I thought we got some really good answers on a lot of our questions from them. I leave the day feeling better about, at least compared to how I went into the interviews, feeling better about South Carolina than anybody else, I, I would say comparatively. But I think that these are four teams that are going to see improvements if not record-wise at least statistically and in the way that they play I, th- I don't know if Florida's going to be a better record team compared to last year but I think they will top to bottom have a better offense and I think the pitching staff will have fewer blips let's say this yeah. upcoming year I, I, I could see that for sure I mean you got to continue to experiment in the pitching lab as far as that goes but um, <laughs> you know I think I, I think they're going to be don't, don't count out Florida. Ever. Never, ever, ever is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Before we advertise day four, let's really quickly talk again about our friend, Anthony Sinello, the presenting sponsor of softball media days, Sinello, a part of Alabama beach realty. It's Anthony Sinello realty. We've said it enough. You know, the website, Anthony realty.com. The beach is awesome. I might go as we record the SEC championship is coming up, mate, you know, and then I've got like a week off. I can, oh, yeah. I might just call Anthony. Sounds go good. Go to the beach, cash in our check now. <laughs> go to the beach. Wait, I can't go yet. <laughs> okay. We'll save it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Sinella Realty, part of Alabama Beach Realty from Mobile down to the Alabama beaches, Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, the whole area. Give him a call and check out his website. AnthonySinelloRealty.com. Call them at 251-301-7694. Part of Alabama Beach Realty, part of Bama U. Well done, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> day four is coming up. That'll be December 10th, the final day of Softball Media Days. We've got Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy, Mississippi State head coach Samantha Ricketts. Joe Evans will be closing us out, the wonderful backdrop of California oh, on wow. her zoom. You don't get to see it, but we did. She's the Texas A&M head coach. And then we do our fall ball special, which we did not do earlier this year, partially because I felt like it would make more sense to just clump it together with media days. And also because frankly, fall ball was kind of later this year. And as the schedule was coming together, it wouldn't make sense to release two episodes that close to each other. So Murphy Ricketts, Evans, fall ball. That's the next episode. And that's, one of the things that we talked about with all the coaches or a lot of them brought it up as well, how fall ball went this year. Yes. It was a, a kind of a different position. And some coaches actually liked it more the way we did it last year. Yeah. You've heard from yeah. Tony Baldwin, Larissa Anderson, who both made the comments that they felt like this year, they learned more about their teams when they weren't competing. Right. But Georgia did not schedule 
really anything in the fall ball. They did a bunch of inter-squad scrimmages. Loris Anderson said that's essentially what she wants to do going forward. So very interesting. We'll talk, we'll talk more bit. about that yes. next episode. Until then, how do people find us, Tom? Well, they can always find us on the Twitter at outofbox underscore pod. Well done. Yes. And you? T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter, T Canterbury RTR. And me at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave a review. If you leave a review, I'll send you something nice. Unsure what it is yet because I need to get my paychecks. But after that, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll send you something. So leave a review. I think you can only do that on Apple Podcasts and subscribe, do all that jazz. Thank you to Coach Walton, Coach Tarina, Coach Smith, Coach Traxel. Final thoughts, Tom, before we wrap up day three. Just another uh, another great episode. And we, again, appreciate all the coaches for spending sometimes a, a extended period of time with us and uh, all the SIDs as well for help getting this set up. Again, the, the appreciate the, their trust that they've given us that, that even though we're the Alabama guys that will talk fairly about everybody and, and have a good time, which we did. Yes, we always do. Mm-hmm. The food question has really been a good icebreaker this year. It's good that we save it for the end. We, we, we all like the food. That's one of the reasons why we like being in the SEC. You know, everyone, yeah. everyone's, if nothing else, we're going to eat well. Let's be real. That's why this podcast exists. <laughs> that is the end of day three of Softball Media Days presented by Anthony Sinella Realty. We're almost done. The finale will drop on December 10th. We'll talk with Patrick Murphy, Samantha Ricketts, and Joe Evans, and we'll also give our fall ball special as we do a deep dive into Alabama's offseason and also, you know, talk a little bit about what everybody said about fall ball. The finale's coming up. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.